you once again for coming back to Bard's Logic Political Talk, part of the conservative conversation. Uh, it's good to be back. Uh, still uh, getting through a few things. I'm hoping we're at the tail end of uh, the reason for my absence uh, on here. Uh, daughter recovering from surgery. I know it's been a, a rough week, a uh, couple weeks for a lot of folks out there for, for multiple reasons. So let's ho- hope that we're all you know, kind of seeing the uh, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel for that. Um, I don't know, with, with what we're even looking at, maybe that wasn't even a good analogy. <laughs> I think about that may not have been a good analogy. Let's just hope uh, uh, things get better. That's all I can say about that. But anyway, uh, tonight we are going to be talking about, I was watching Laura Ingram uh, last night, and it kind of after watching that switched what I was going to cover on the show tonight. I mean, we we'll go over other things. We we're working on some uh, things that'll make you like, wow, here in America, uh, we're working on some things about that for next uh, next week. Uh, but tonight, um, I was watching uh, her. She made up some great points that I want to bring out. Uh, of course, some of these are been, you know been made before. But uh, what she really broke down, and I'm going to play the audio here in a little bit. And then that's going to be our discussion for a good part of the show. I've got some articles uh, in regards to it as well. Maybe for some of them, might be give us some clarification, you know, on numbers and things of that nature. Uh, but I'm going to go things one by one. And, and what she was talking about last night, and I think this is going to be important to be, you know, to be uh, shown uh, in the next, gosh, you know, 90 days less. Uh, that we're going to be, you know, voting for the uh, the president, and you know, also we're going to cover that. You know, we're going to break that down, but also uh, something I've been hearing a little bit lately, and hoping some other uh, places pick this up, is that recently I've been hearing of people who are getting uh, experience with receiving things in the mail. Okay, and we're gonna. I got a picture here on Blog Talk Radio uh, on what they're receiving and what it is is they're actually getting mailings that are uh, stating, and we're going to cover this later in the show, so definitely please stand by uh, to get that part of the show. Let's definitely make sure that we um, – but anyway, is they're receiving letters from the uh, election uh, division, you know, elections. And stating that, hey, we got you know we got records here that you recently moved, and we need you to, uh, you know, you need to update your your mailing address. Well, these people are like, well, well I haven't moved. I've lived in this, and I'm going to read the letter as best I can because the letter someone sent me a photo of it, and you know I try to blow it up as best I can. Uh, but basically, they're saying, oh yeah, you need to confirm your address. And they're like, I've lived here for, you know, a long time, (laughs) you know, 40, almost 50 years. Why am I getting a letter saying that they have records that I moved? And so, and and a couple of people, a number of people have gotten that. So I'm starting to wonder on how widespread that is. And so uh, what we'll do here is, uh, you know, we got, uh, already have some callers, which is great. Uh, We're going to get to our uh, friend here, Joseph, and then I'm going to bring this audio clip uh, from the five media lies about COVID that Laura Ingram uh, pointed out last night. I definitely want to 
uh, touch base and elaborate. I mean, she gave some interesting information, but, you know, this was only a 12-minute video, at least on her show, you know, an audio for us. Uh, but, I mean, it's definitely topics and numbers that we could certainly discuss for a good length of the show. And so let's go ahead and bring in Joseph, and then I'm going to get to our audio clip. Um, it's about a 12-minute audio clip, but it's going to keep your attention. And it's going to state what the you know what she states that those five lies are, and we're going to break that down and, and go over the numbers that she put on the screen. Uh, but it just again it was just stayed on her screen for a, a, a few moments, so I think it bears uh, more looking at to, to show these numbers. And then we're, I definitely want to get to those uh, those letters that are being sent out to voters, stating they've been contacted. Um, due to the, the recent move, even when they haven't been moving. So let's go ahead and bring in Joseph. Uh, thank you very much, Joseph, for coming on the show. How are you? Always a pleasure to be back, Robert. I know it's been a while, um, but it's great to be back. Um, your family and your daughter continue to be in my prayers and my thoughts. Uh, we're all rooting for you. Thank you. And uh, 90 more days to go. We're We're down to the crunch. Getting really, really, really close. So close, I could feel the fire. So uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, last stretch of the uh, journey here, and uh, let's let's see what new revelations will bring. As every day, uh, um, we're always being hit with a different uh, revelation, and uh, that's all I have to say for now. I defer back to you, Robert. Okay, and um, I do see we have a Skype caller, and we will get you in. I know you want to chime in, um, and so what I'll do during the audio clip, um, and I'll I'll come in briefly just to get your name. We got a couple uh, Skype callers in, so I'll just if your audio stops, it just means that I put you in the green room, uh, so that we can uh, just you know get your name in that because uh, we got a number of Skype callers in. But I'm gonna go ahead and play the audio. I'm gonna i mute the mics because it's a longer audio, but then I'm going to go in the green room and get our Skype caller, and we will get you in the show where we've just begun. So here's uh, the Largram's five lies about uh, media lies about COVID. Now, the media and, frankly, most Democrats have been acting as though President Trump is directly responsible for every case of COVID-19 in the U.S. Now, back in March, the angle, like many, were dismayed that the CDC initially mishandled the testing. Thankfully, today, we lead the world in testing. We do more testing than anybody in the world. If you look at India, they're at about 11 million, and we're at 61 million. What we've done is incredible with the testing, and we will continue. But we want to really be able to test very specifically the people that are in most danger, most in need. Excellent answer. And yet the constant belittling of the administration's efforts, it's deeply unfair and it's almost entirely political. So tonight, I think this is really important, this angle tonight, because we're going to set this record straight. We start with the biggest lies peddled by the left. First, that the president doesn't take the pandemic seriously. Don't forget, let's not forget that he downplayed this virus for months. What has happened here is that Donald Trump has downplayed this virus since the beginning. This man is determined to keep down his golf handicap, not the number of cases that are making us sick. Uh, the president said that the, that the virus is a hoax. 
Now, while the Democrats were hyperventilating over the bogus impeachment hearings and the media was bemoaning anti-China bias in the reaction initially to the uh, virus, the Trump administration created a COVID task force on January 29th. Two days later, the president declared a public health emergency and he ordered any U.S. citizens returning from China to quarantine for 14 days. On February 2nd, Trump's travel ban from China went to, into effect. Then the president went on to ban travel from Europe in March. A lot of people were unhappy with that. But both of those actions have been applauded by the left's biggest hero. Were you involved in working with President Trump on deciding to ban flights from China? Yes, sir. I was. Do you think that decision saved lives, Dr. Fauci? Yes, I do. When ultimately we saw spread in Europe, and then the president recommended that we extend that to Europe. Do you think that decision saved lives? Yes, I do. Bingo. Now, second lie, that the White House didn't do enough to alleviate the medical supply shortage. The country is facing yet another dangerous shortage of PPE and medical equipment supplies. Right now, this country cannot beat coronavirus without more PPE. Uh, we had a shortage. We need to reset all surging cases, long lines for tests, not enough PPE. And Trump also doing exactly what he did in March and April, which is to minimize. Well, the president invoked the Defense Production Act back in March. Given the massive control it allows them to exert over private business and the economy, the president wisely used the act only when businesses didn't voluntarily devote assembly lines to producing PPEs, ventilators, other much-needed supplies. So when Andrew Cuomo projected, remember they'd need as many as, what was it, 30,000 or 40,000 vents? We told you that figure was absurd, but the White House kicked into high gear anyway. There was a mass mobilization of resources, including setting up field hospitals in New York and using Navy ships that ended up, of course, being hardly utilized. But it was all done to ensure that the tri-state area's hospital system didn't ultimately collapse. And guess what? It didn't. And when we weren't three months out from a presidential election, Andrew Cuomo regularly acknowledged the billions in help. The president brought in the Army Corps of Engineers. They built uh, 2,500 beds at Javits. These were just extraordinary efforts and acts of mobilization. And uh, the federal government stepped up and was a great partner. And I'm the first one to say it. Uh, we needed help, and they were there. Yesterday, he was trashing the uh, Trump administration. Nice going, Andy. Third, this whopper. Speaking of New York, that New York is somehow the gold standard for the rest of America. They've been flatlined for the last four weeks. They, that's an example of what can be done. Governor Cuomo in particular did it really the right way from March on. And Not a, you know, do this if you want kind of language, but firm language. Life-saving mandates uh, by our leaders. He clearly was listening to his health advisors. Well, unlike the liberal media, numbers don't lie. Now, we hear a lot about Florida, Arizona, and Texas not following in Cuomo's footsteps. But look at this chart. The death rate per 100,000 in New York is over three times the death rate in Arizona, nearly five times the death rate in Florida, and over six times the death rate in Texas. No wonder New York's top health official resigned today. 
Now, when the media harps on our COVID death numbers, national numbers, they fail to mention the states with the highest numbers. New York had a very tough time, as you know, New York, New Jersey, that area. But when you take that out, our numbers are among the lowest. Now, the president loves New York, but the notion that these states should be taking advice from Governor Cuomo or anyone, frankly, who presided over the disaster in the Empire State is just absurd. Fourth lie, the left falsely blames Trump for the economy tanking last quarter. The handling of the coronavirus pandemic, pandemic is not good for the president. Uh, that is bad news for the economy. It's just decimated our economy with our economy's worst drop ever. Ever. Okay? 32.9%. The last claim you heard about U.S. GDP shrinking, 32.9%, in the second quarter of this year is insanely misleading. Now, while it's technically true, the figure represents an annualized number. In other words, it was the amount of the decline that would take place over a year if trends from the second quarter continued. Now, that would only happen if we followed Biden's recommendation to shut down the economy and keep kids out of school, thus parents out of work. On a non-annualized basis, the decline from Q1 to Q2 2020 was only 9.5%. Now, that's still a staggering loss, don't get me wrong, but one that we can actually quickly recover from if Trump is able to continue with his pro-freedom agenda. Now, of course, once you dig into the numbers, it's easy to see which states are holding back a full-fledged recovery. The blue ones. Nevada and Hawaii have an excuse because of the problems resulting from tourism, but why are all these other states on this list still doing so poorly? Because they failed to take President Trump's advice. And rather than trusting their people, they imposed drastic lockdown measures that had catastrophic economic consequences while doing very little to stop the virus. It's also worth remembering where this virus came from, China. Why aren't Democrats clamoring to hold them accountable for unleashing this plague on the world after, of course, they initially tried to cover it up? For that matter, why are Democrats pushing for more funding to the WHO, which aided and abetted China's lies? Fifth lie. Despite the dismal performance of lockdown-loving blue states, Democrats still complain that we didn't follow Europe's lead in handling COVID. We did not wait to crush the curve. In Europe, they did the exact opposite. Comparing to Europe, we have to get our virus under control like they did before yeah. you can start reopening schools. This chart compares the number of new daily coronavirus cases in the United States with those uh, in Europe. It shows just how much worse the outbreak has been in the United States. And looking at the numbers, you have to remember that the U.S. is an enormous country with about 330 million people. But when you add the populations of Germany, Britain, France, Italy, Spain, and Belgium, they together have almost 336 million people. That's roughly equal to our population. So first off on testing, we've performed better than those six European uh, Western countries. They've done 42.8 million tests for COVID-19, we've done 59.9 million. Since we've performed so many more tests, we can't really do an apples to apples comparison on confirmed COVID case numbers. But of course we can look at deaths. 
we have suffered. We've suffered 158,000 deaths. It's a horrific tragedy. But the six European countries combined have suffered roughly 159,000 deaths, an equal and horrific tragedy. Likewise, our death rates are lower than many of our European counterparts. Belgium, the UK, Spain, Italy have seen way worse death rates than we have. France is only doing slightly better than we are in terms of deaths as well. Now, what we also have to recognize is that the U.S., of course, as I said, a massive country. If you break it down by state, it's clear that Democrat states are the reason that the death rates are so high. It just happens to work out that way, right? We can also say that our economy has done significantly better than Europe's. Remember that the U.S. economy fell by 9.5% on a quarterly basis. The eurozone, that is the economies of all the nations that use the euro, fell by 12.1%. Even Germany suffered a decline of 10.1%. But aren't the Europeans going to do better than us going forward? Well, that's not what investors think. Let's look at how the key stock indices have done since the beginning of the year. In other words, investors are not betting that Western European companies are more valuable than their American counterparts. If anything, their bets are all the other way. So we performed 17 million more tests than our counterparts in Western Europe. We have roughly the same number of deaths. Our economy, though, is much stronger, and investors have more confidence in our outlook going forward. But while these figures clearly show that the U.S. is doing very well by comparison to our allies in Europe, they don't give President Trump enough credit because the U.S. figures are distorted by the poor performance of many of the blue state governors. Here are the facts. The U.S. as a whole has suffered 48 deaths per 100,000 from COVID-19. But seven states have suffered deaths at a rate higher than even Spain did. Here you see the catastrophic results of poor local governance, especially in and around New York City. In fact, New York's death rate was two and a half times worse than Spain's. In the meantime, we should all be grateful that during this unprecedented crisis, President Trump has insulated most of the country from the disastrous top-down policies and lockdowns and looting, frankly, that Democrats seem to want to look the other way on. Thank goodness. And that's the angle. And part- to uh, open up the mics uh, for comments. Uh, first, we're going to uh, bring in Joe and then Joseph, and then I'm going to go through some uh, you know, comments here myself, uh, touching on each point uh, that you made. But first, um, we'll get, and we'll get Kelly in as well after Joseph. But first, let's go ahead and bring in Joe. Uh, thank you very much, Joe, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Well, Bob, good evening to you and to Joseph and to Kelly and to all your listeners. How are you doing? Oh, hanging in there, hanging in there. Okay. That was a very good clip. That was Laura Ingram, right? Yeah, Laura Ingram, that, that it was. Okay. Well, for what I uh, I haven't heard that clip before, but she outlines and describes Trump's achievements very well. She debunks the uh, the myths of the, um, of the libtards, and I think people, um, if they want to do some research and if they really want to have a balanced opinion, should have listened to it. Um, so I really don't have that much to say outside that she's done a good job of outlining, summarizing, and debunking what the uh, what is your um, 
accurately categorized as the five myths against Trump with regards to, uh, to the COVID and to the economy. So for right now, Bob, I don't have that much to say. So it's up to you, Joseph and Kelly, and I'll just uh, keep myself on mute for now. Okay. And then we'll have your mic open. Um, and, yeah, then actually during the, the video, uh, she did have, you know, some numbers that came up. And, of course, since we're, you know, on a radio program, we can't see those numbers. Uh, but I do have those numbers, and we'll, uh, as we go down uh, the list here of her points, uh, we'll, you know, bring those numbers out, bring those numbers out. But first, let's go ahead and welcome uh, Joseph. Thank you very much, Joseph, for coming to the show. Uh, he's our friend from Hawaii. How are you? Hey, uh, you know, Laura Ingram is actually one of my favorite uh, hosts next to uh, Hannity and Tucker Carlson. So um, she's very objective, and uh, she tends to call it right down the line. So uh, everything she said was spot on, and uh, I think that's why she has the last slot in the primetime hour. Uh, she pretty much ends up the lineup with uh, with a bang. And uh, I'll defer back to you, Robert. Pleasure to have you back on the show, Joe. Yeah, and then let's go ahead and, and bring it to Kelly, and then I'll bring um, you know some of the things that uh, she's got here. But let's go ahead and uh, bring it over to you, Kelly. Thank you. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, the gang's all back again. Um, yeah, Robert, uh, yeah, in your bit of my prayers regarding your uh, family health situation there. I know you're doing fine, but anyway um, – yeah, so Laura Ingram, um, didn't quite, I thought I recognized her voice, but yeah. Um, but she's telling us the media's been lying. The other media stations are lying, CNN, ABC, CBS, whatever. I can't believe that other media lies. I just can't. You know, it's shocking. These other media's people, the left, they lie? That's not... I, I just can't believe that. All right, I'm being spooky. All right, so I got to tell you about a couple things. We're talking about media. There was a report that uh, while Joe Biden was waiting in a church pew to honor John Lewis, Biden said to his wife, I've got the right words for a great toast at the reception for the newlyweds. His wife said, uh, honey, Joe, this is a funeral, not a wedding. Um, <laughs> and then, let's see. This is according to Babylon B. Oh, no. Biden says, <laughs> Biden says he can't wait to find out who he picked for vice president. Washington, D.C. <laughs> according to sources. <laughs> well, now they're switching. Now they're switching the possibility of being Susan Rice. So we'll see. Well, well, let's. Uh, yeah. You know what? You know when he's um, going to announce it. You know he's going to announce it on You know he's going to announce it on Friday. He'll announce it on Friday. He? You know, Friday night or something, because it's. Uh, you know what I mean? He'll he'll announce it. He'll announce it as Rush would say after 3 p.m. on. Uh, on Friday, so Rush can't make any comments on it. <laughs> hey, that's, oh, a, that's a Kelly classic. Kelly, you hit the home run. The oh, show's that was be a good one. For a long time. Good. Well, well by Babylon B, I'll have to read you the story. They make they have short stories. Um, Biden says he can't wait to find out who he picked for VP. <laughs> Washington, D.C. According to some in the Biden campaign, 
that a presidential candidate is on pins and needles waiting to see who it is he picked up to run for vice president on his ticket. <laughs> Campaign aides say it's been Biden's most anticipated event since he found out he was running for president a few weeks ago. Wow. Oh, we Biden if he can. A reporter asked Biden if he could hint about his VP pick during a brief interlude from his stay in the basement, where he was allowed to come upstairs to get oh, some man. snacks. Oh boy, it's a it's a real classy broad, broad. He said as he drank straight from the milk jug. I bet I picked somebody good and smart, a chick with class and style. You know, in my day, dames were dames and guys were guys. None of this guys became dolls and dolls became guy stuff. We will go down to the hop and do the mashed potato. You know, there's lots of good, um, you know, nutrients and stuff in potatoes. Potato is a funny world, funny word, potato. Okay, okay, Joe, let's go. Said an aide, shoving him down into the basement. What Joe is trying to say is that he's chosen a well-qualified candidate who will run the country, or I mean help him run the country uh, with excellence. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, at least Babylon B, if you have a sense of humor, you pick it up right away. They know they're not telling the truth, (laughs) but it's just political satire. You know, now some of the stuff that these other, you know, there's clips that Laura Ingram did, you know. She's just calling them, calling oh, the other man. other stations on this. Man, I am Joe <laughs> Biden, and I'm running for Congress. Help me beat Joe Biden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> oh, man, I can't wait till I find out who I put. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, the um, – yeah, I can't wait until they picked it. That's pretty much going to go um, – and so, I got an article here, uh, you know, kind of, and talk about the numbers with New York. You know, one of the the first ones you know, she talked about uh, there is that you know President Trump uh, doesn't take it more seriously, and that uh, you know New York is you know the gold standard uh, for the rest of America. Well, here, you know, there's an article here. Uh, and again, you can find you know, these articles uh, in the videos from uh, the Bard's Logic Newsroom at uh And this is actually Bongino.com. It's kind of a new, uh, you know, a new article uh, source. It says here, uh, the PolitiFact, you know, one of our favorite people, not, uh, <laughs> you know, right. organization, uh, <laughs> worth fact checker is added again. This time, fact-checker Tom Kirchner is evaluating the truth of the objectivity, uh, objectively true claim that Florida is doing over five times better than New Jersey and New York in COVID-19 deaths per million. In a miraculous feat, he managed to prove the claim true with his analysis just before Justify giving the claim a mostly false rating. After all, why would he want to go through all that hard fact-checking uh, work only to admit that a conservative was right about something. For some background information, the claim is pretty easy to prove. New Jersey and New York rank one and two in the number of corona deaths. New Jersey has 1,780 corona deaths per million, while New York has 1,680. Florida has 330. Uh, the figures for other states making headlines lately, such as Arizona and Texas, are 520 and 240. 
and I'm and you know sometimes I go off the articles here uh, as I'm reading them. Uh, but yeah, I mean that that's and have you noticed? I mean anyone here who whether you're watching or listening the news or you're listening to uh, you know the the NBC News at the top of the hour for whatever radio show you're listening, and that's the ones we're always mentioning: Arizona, Texas, and Florida. And we all know why. We all know why they're mentioning them. They're all mentioning them because these are states that, and actually in Texas, that they're trying to, uh, you know, they think they could actually flip, you know, and, and Biden's favor. So that's, those are the states you're only going to, not only, but these are the states you're going to, you, you hear focus on. And, and we know why. And you think they, they think we're stupid, but, but we're not. We know why they're focusing on those states. But anyway... It says, in other words, you could add up Florida, Arizona, and Texas totals and still need another 590 deaths per million to match New York. It is true for both New York and New Jersey that if each state were on its own individual country, both would have more corona deaths per capita than any other country on Earth. So how does future pretend otherwise? With a rebuttal amounting to, well, that may be true, but things could change. Writes, Timing is the big reason why the statistics citing, cited is misleading. New Jersey and New York were hit hard early in the pandemic, and Florida was hit later. But we already know that Florida is doing a much better job of managing the virus in uh, New York. While Norwich had five times as many deaths per capita as Florida, Florida has more confirmed corona cases per million, 2,268, than New York's 2,140. Florida also didn't make the disastrous decision of mixing coronavirus patients with those least likely to survive it. A ProPublica analysis of New York's disastrous nursing home order, which New Jersey followed in the lead, found out, quote, in the weeks that followed the March 25th order, COVID-19 tore through New York State's nursing facilities, killing more than 6,000 people. Yeah. About 6% of the of more than 100,000 nursing home residents. States that issued orders similar to Cuomo's, we heard him earlier on the audio clip, and, and she makes a great point. I mean, he was like, oh, Trump did all this. Now three months out from an election. Of course, now he's got a blast, uh, Trump. But it said states that issued orders similar to Cuomo's reported comparatively grim outcomes. Michigan lost 5% of roughly 38,000 nursing home residents to COVID-19 since the outbreak began. New Jersey lost 12% of its more than 43,000 residents. And Florida, where such transfers were barred, just 1.6% of the 73,000 nursing home residents died of the virus. You could take a look how massively Florida daily death lags New York's and decide for yourself. they got a chart here. Again, if you want to check out uh, the chart on the article, uh, you could go to the Bart's Logic website at www.bartslogicpoliticaltalk.com and go to the newsroom page where you'll find this article. And you know, and it has those charts on there. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, if you want to, if you want to chime yeah. in. Yeah. Go because ahead. Laura, go ahead, Laura could have uh, <clears throat> could have really punctuated her particular summary by, and she didn't do this by um, talking about how even our um, death rates could have gone down, could have been um, a lot, lot lower if Cuomo, Murphy, the governor of Connecticut, Whitmer, the governor of uh, Pennsylvania, if they didn't all do attempted murder. And I'm not saying that lightly. 
Uh, let me let me uh, pick on Cuomo. Cuomo actually signed an order <clears throat> to take patients that had that were critically ill. Practically, they were patients in a hospital who were afflicted severely with COVID, and he signed an order to have them transferred to where the nursing homes. The nursing homes, of course, as people know now. They are full of people who are the most susceptible to this particular virus, and since they in the nursing home already were on their last legs practically, what happened? The pathogens spread like wildfire, they, um, and the residents in the nursing homes got infected very quickly and seriously. And if that had not happened, if Murphy, Cuomo, and the rest did not transfer these particular patients, then New York would have gone, would have been, well, they would have, I think they had 60,000 deaths total. They probably would have had maybe 30,000 deaths. And the overall picture of the United States would have been a lot lower in terms of mortality. And, <clears throat> but they didn't care. They wanted Trump to get some kind of blame. So this, this, this it wasn't just stupidity. You had to have known. That if you're, you're taking this particular virus, which is a, supposedly a pandemic, so dangerous, uh, even though it's only a 2% uh, mortality rate, and you're going to take people who supposedly have it on their last legs, take a contagious disease and transfer it from a place which is supposed to be stocked with um, ventilators and other equipment uh, prepared for this, but they weren't. They were already warned. Um, Cuomo in particular was warned years ago about the possibility of an epidemic and even another um, uh, 9-11 strike, but he didn't prepare for it. So that was his fault. Then he cried and cried and wanted, Cuomo, and wanted Trump to help, and he did, and then he criticized him later. So if you didn't transfer these particular patients, you would not have had 60%, let's say conservatively, 45% of the deaths which happened in New York, that wouldn't have occurred. So <clears throat> I think they should be brought up on charges of attempted murder because they had to have known what they were doing. Well, I'll tell you one, I find it interesting that, you know, uh, today that there's talk about, you know, something like I'm, I can't quote, I can't, that Trump said, and he was like, uh, you know, something like, you know, oh, well, you know, this is how things are or something of that nature. And people are like, oh, my gosh, he's, they're talking about, you know, deaths and going up and this and that. And, and Trump is saying this is all they are. But when, remember when Cuomo was saying, look, when people are getting on him about the deaths, he's like, hey, look, folks, people are going to die of this virus. Remember when he said that and everybody was, you know, he, he got a pass, but Trump's like, hey, you know, this is kind of it is what it is. And then they're, you know, ready to give, uh, give Cuomo a pass by saying, oh, well, he was the well you know, dollar. people are going to die from this. <laughs> Yeah, because they're, you know they're giving him a pass. Mm-hmm. And so then it says uh, now back to the article it says Florida's biggest day, uh, biggest single day of reported deaths, 257, is in comparison to New York, which sustained a daily death toll roughly three times that at their peak. It took nearly a month for New York to go from peak daily deaths, excluding the May 5th spike, which was due to reclassification of certain deaths to where Flora's death peaks at, and there's more charts here. It says, uh, Kircher has a history of flimsy fact-checking, whereas he'll point out a scenario in which cases something could be wrong, 
than do no actual work to determine if it is. Another one of notable lately fact checks was the one claimed that violent crime in South Bend, Indiana had effectively doubled under Mayor Pete Buttigieg's tenure. Kircher rated the claim false because South Bend changed the way that police counted assaults by including cases where a weapon was shown as aggravated assault. Kircher then did no actual work to quantify the extent of uh, to which this influences the numbers. He just says that the numbers then get tricky. That's it. He simply tells us that violent crimes went up under Mayor Pete, but that it didn't double. Again, not much detail for how he reached that conclusion, and that's what qualifies for a fact check over at PolitiFact. And I find that interesting, which, you know, and Politico as well, but they're talking about one of the criteria for Biden, if he ever does debate. And I find it ironic that they're saying how Trump, uh, Biden's in debate, but we should have one debate for the vice president, which is whatever. But anyway, so these are so let's think about it. these are probably the people who they're going to want to try to get um, to be the fact checkers of a debate if if uh, if Trump were to uh, you know if Trump were to agree with those terms. And uh, just got a message uh, from. Joseph, he's going to have to uh, uh, leave us. Unfortunately, he's got uh, something he's got to attend to, so we want to wish the best to um, to you there, Joseph, and hope right, things care, uh, pan out well for that. Yeah, good luck, uh, good luck, my friend, and hopefully things uh, pan out well for that. Um, he apologizes, but you know, with with the nature of, of what's going on, um, you know, I understand. So we definitely uh, appreciate that. So yeah, so again, you know, bring it back to the point is, I mean, these are the folks who actually want to be the ones to, you know, fact-check the debate? Well, if you take a look at the Washington Post fact-checks and the other fact-checkers and Snopes, you don't really know oh, who's Snopes, who is. Of course, you know that everybody has their own particular confirmation bias. But the thing is, is that uh, I guess we all have to use our powers of discernment. So I like the fact that Ingram was talking about that. She was making it um, hopefully clear that on an annualized basis, that 32% number um, is not a real number yet. Because I was, you know, when I was taking finance and majoring in it in college, that's part of the uh, curriculum is to know what annualized means. So um, I'm hope, hopefully, hopefully other people who have listened to her uh, got the idea that the 9% is the real percentage between, I think, what she said was March and May. And what the liberal press was trying to do um, was stretch that number without telling people how they stretched it. So uh, it, unless people actually do their research, and actually compare articles and websites that are liberal versus websites that are um, conservative. All you're going to do is get in, um, inundated with whatever you read, and whatever you read without um, comparing it with the other side, that's what you're going to believe. And that applies to conservatives as well. Back to you, Bob. One of, one of the things, you know, 
to talk about, you know, articles, but more of research. Uh, you know, I, I've stopped using Google pretty much. I mean, cause you kind of find something conservative, <laughs> you know, or an article or thing or things of that nature. If I'm not using Bard's Logic uh, newsroom, then you know, I've been I've been starting to use Bing because I mean, it's it's about it's about impossible to find anything, that, you know, that has you know that's a, a conservative publication. Uh, trying to get anything on Google. And one of the things I, I, she wanted also to point out, uh, and she put a chart up, was the the death rates, uh, you know, with, with 100, uh, per 100,000. And, you know, as we said earlier, they're really focusing on Arizona, Florida, and Texas, you know, because they want to try to make Trump look bad in those states because they're hoping to flip them. And Arizona is 53 per 100,000. Florida is 34 per 100,000, and Texas is 27 per 100,000. Mm-hmm. And then you have New York, which is 167 per 100,000. Right. Of course, but they're trying to emphasize how, because it's a resurgence, and they're going to use that resurgence term as their uh, foundation for locking down the uh, the economy one more time, or for now. Oh, yeah. For not rolling back the um, uh, the phases of the lockdown, which they you know make people believe are you know supposed to be coming. So all of this, this COVID, as far as I'm concerned, is here to stay. It doesn't matter who wins the election. This is a um, a total lockdown of America. The communists have come. They have told the uh, mayors and the governors to lay down. The police, the police have laid down. And look what Black Lives Matter is doing. They are doing whatever they want to do with impunity. And they're not hiding the fact that they are Marxists. Marxists want the destruction of any country that isn't socialist or communism um, so that they uh, can can rule. And, of course, the brainwashed millennials, these poor saps, they believe that free tuition, free um, the job, well, they don't say job of your choice. Of course, you won't have a job of your choice, but you will have a job even though you may be you may have taken college uh, courses in in chemistry, you might be becoming a very good janitor because if you know for the common good, if that's what we need, comrade, that's what you'll do. So you will have a job, and your uh, pay will be equal to everybody else's, and you will have a nice apartment in which you will have to share it with other people you do not know. This happened in Ireland. I have a buddy from Ireland. And over 20 years ago, Ireland was really? a wealth, yeah, it was a welfare state. I didn't know that. Uh, well, over 30 huh. years ago, he's been in um, America now over 30 years. And he said he came to America because in Ireland, it was a welfare state, a socialist um, country, and they actually yeah, I didn't know they were socialists. Yeah. yeah, and they actually moved in people that you didn't know from poor backgrounds, move them in with the middle class, they forced the middle class people who had homes to take them in. Wow. So this could happen here. I didn't know I that. Didn't know that. Me neither. But this guy, he was born in Ireland, raised in Ireland, and left Ireland. So it isn't as but though, you know. Uh-huh. Didn't our, didn't our um, Arn Rand's book, um, oh gosh, what's the name of that famous book that you wrote, was talking about that? I think they can't happen about that in America. In something like um, it can't no, happen. Um, no, it was actually no, it was a famous book that she wrote, um, and she was actually talking about that after some type of uh, 
uh, Revolution or something like that. What's the name of the book? Um, Who's the author again? No, uh, uh, is Iron Rand? Oh, Iron Rand. Oh, Fountainhead. Um. Uh, what was the name of her that book? No, it wasn't Fountainhead. If Atlas I heard it, Drug? I was like, oh yeah. Act- Atlas, yep, Atlas Drug. Drug. Atlas, Atlas Drug. Drug. Yep. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, she that you know she was she described stuff like that over uh, in Russia and Atlas um, Atlas Drug. Yep. Uh, she talked about that. Yeah, so it can happen here, and people. Look at the first off. Look at what's happening in four major cities in the United States. The police are being told to stand down. They are, but at the same time, they're being told that they have to confront the mob. But the mobs aren't mobs. They're protesters, peaceful protesters who just happen to have Molotov cocktails and AK-47s. And yet, the police uh, commissioner came out in Portland, I think, a few days ago, about a week ago, saying that she, uh, well, not she, but the city council had had mandated that the police cannot use even non-lethal weapons when confronting the protesters. So if the protesters, so she says in her in her uh, uh, press conference that she cannot guarantee the safety of people nor the property. So this is going wow. to this is going to spread uh, nationwide if Americans don't wake up. And if it does, it's not going to be just black black lives matter burning buildings. If if other gangs see that Black Lives Matter can get away with this, with this jazz chop in Seattle, six weeks of hijacking um, um, a six-block area of, of Seattle and keeping people indoors or, let's say, just hijacked. So what do you think the Hells Angels, the outlaws, the, the Italian mob, the Mexican mob, and MS-13 are going to do when they find out that the police are going to be defanged? That the police will not show up. You can call 911 all you want, but uh uh uh. And then if you have guns, maybe the police might show up, but to confiscate your guns. So what do you think the the, the organized the gangs and mob is going to do? They're going to run rampant over America. That's my prediction. Well, yeah, there's certainly yeah, and there's certainly wanting to do that. I think it's, you know, part and parcel, you know, wanting to try to bring America down. Of course. That's the whole goal. It's not socialism. It's communism. And communism may sound good and feel good, but it is not good. It has never worked anywhere. And when I've talked to socialists over the years, what have they said? Well, they've done it wrong over there, but it will be done right over here. And I say, how do you know? Well, it will. Uh Uh-huh. It will. Sure. The burning of buildings, the killing of um, of children, that's your recipe for bringing down crony capitalism? I have one question for liberals, and one question only. If you believe that capitalism in our system works so poorly, and I believe it works poorly also, but at least you can vote in and you can vote out politicians. Yes, and I agree they're corrupt. But tell me something, uh, Mr. Stalin wannabe. If you can't trust the people here in America that you can vote in or vote out, what makes you think you can tr- you can trust the people you could never vote out? I want an answer to that question. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's a great yeah, that's a great question. That's a great point. Yes, yeah, and, and those are the people who actually came to hold most of the power. 
are those people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those people who believe in socialism, and you think that you might have a place in the socialist world, what place? Who is going to assign you this particular place? And why would you accept their authority? And who gave them their authority? If you have no longer any, um, any voting rights, then why should you submit your authority to them? You have no freedom anymore. So why should you trust them once they're put into power by who? Who is the power? Who says they're the power? But you're going to go along blindly? Well, you're stupid. <laughs> you're just stupid. Well, here's, 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 a, you know, here's a question along those lines. Okay. Let's just suppose our economy gets worse and the repercussions we're going to suffer from this uh, somewhat of a depression, tens of millions of Americans out of a job because of corona, and then the bailout, the trillions that are getting printed and given to people, that's going to cause inflation, and it'll cause more unrest down the road. Okay, so, let's suppose there's so much unrest, more riots, more riots, they somehow get together, like the... Uh, NAFC, or was it NFC, not effing around committee, NFAC, or but the black militia folks, and they carry guns. Okay, let's suppose that they they topple the U.S. government and or state government. Let's imagine what, what, okay, what are you going to replace it with? What will they replace it with? I mean, the Communist Manifesto? Well, they'll replace it with uh, no constitution. It is everybody votes on things. Or are they just going to wing it? If you don't have a solid plan for a replacement, what you have here is like the French Revolution. They decided, hey, let's get rid of our king. The American colonies did. And Jefferson actually had a number of points why he didn't support the French Revolution. But that's another story. And so they had a revolution within a revolution, and it was a disaster. And then some regions of France were like, you know what? We're just going to do our own thing. We're going to try to be our own little state and country here. And that got ahead. And it was, you know, off to the guillotine. People didn't believe, didn't agree. And one of the leaders of the first revolution, he went to the guillotine. And all sorts of things, what are you going to replace it with? The French have had 12 constitutions in their nation's history. I would call that constitution du jour. You look at the Chinese. Um, I can't pronounce the guy's name, but he was late 1800s, into the 1900s. And he had finally won. Their whole goal was to get rid of, you know, the kings and the dynasties. And, uh, but there was a counter-revolution on that. And then, this knucklehead, I mean, he, he decided to, one of the generals said, well, I tell you what, you make me president and we'll win it for you. Because there was factions that were fighting amongst factions for power when the dynasty was, was toppling. So the general, you know, I'll make you, I'll, I'll win these battles, we'll get peace and order, but you've got to make me president. Well, that turned into a more worse situation. So what are they going to replace our constitution with? What are they going to place it with? Do they have a plan? Do they have a different constitution? 
or are they just going to wing it? Now, the founding fathers in our country, we have state uh, legislators, which, well, colonial legislators, and then they became a state. And uh, one of the problems they had was King George suspended their legislatures. That's why one of the reasons for the, the declaration. But they quickly established um, a colonial legislature in, um, uh, what's his name, Mason. George Mason was instrumental with Thomas Jefferson to write the Virginia Constitution. And other states quickly followed suits, and they had a system. They had a replacement. And then they did the Articles of Confederation. At the time, though, the 13 colonies in 1776, it wasn't until 1778 until they got the Articles of Confederation for a union. But each state was handling its own affairs according to the best they saw fit. Then you had, you know, uh, the Constitution was developed, adopted in 1788, 1789. There you go. Okay, so, and then the Bill of Rights came along. So we had something um, already in place to replace uh, King George and colonial legislatures. It's amazing. There's a number of factors why it was successful. And yes, we've amended the Constitution. I get that. Well, what are the socialists going to replace it with? What are they going to replace if they are successful having a coup d'etat or a revolution? What are they going to replace it with? Well, most now, likely. The, oh, go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, now let's suppose Trump loses, Biden wins, and the far right people, they get together and they topple the federal government and a few state governments. What are they going to replace it with? Are you going to go back to the way things were? This is this is very scary business when you really think long term about all these factors. I just want to see what other people's thoughts are. Well, of course, it will lead to anarchy, but to replace it is probably with the Communist Manifesto. The people on top, the people who are funding uh, these movements like the Red like Red Sunset, I forget which movement that um, Alex Jones's reporters had infiltrated for two years, um, they're going to take over because they've funded it. And since they funded it, they're not going to give it up to to people just simply because they're on the front line saying... Um, bravo, bravo, Che Guevara, Cuba's my hero. I mean, um, Castro's my hero. They're not going to do that. They're going to take over, and then the people who burned down the buildings or who were the mayors of maybe minor towns, they think they may have a part in the government, but they probably won't. So I'm I'm predicting that it will be the Soros-funded groups already have a, um, a government in mind if they're successful in the coup and taking it over. And if they don't take it over, they will probably be satisfied with just sitting by the sidelines and watching anarchy uh, come in. And they'll have the Hells Angels versus the Outlaws. They'll have the Colombians versus <laughs> the, the, the Italians. And they'll have the Mexican mobs versus the MS-13. And whoever can garner the, uh, the most guns and be who's the most vicious... Well, you know, they'll win their particular inner fighting, and then maybe they'll come in after that. But then, even if that doesn't happen, maybe the the Pentagon will do it. 
Pentagon's probably, some, I'm sure certain factions of the Pentagon love the picture seven days of May. And then we're waiting for nothing but a shot to get in there and, and have a military government. So, but the question's good. Who's going to take over? But whoever does take over, you Me. better have a, <laughs> <laughs> you better have a lot of guns, a lot of ammunition. Mm. Oh yeah. Well, let's uh, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Um, so, and, and, and one way to to do that is, you know, we get you know, again get the uh, the information out, and which you talking about uh, those numbers. Uh, I've got an article here from Wolf Street uh, talking about, you know, the GDP. Uh, and this was actually shared uh, uh, by Newt Gingrich. Uh, and so it says there, no, GDP didn't, GDP didn't plunge 32.9% in quarter two. It plunged a still terrible 9.5% time to kill annual rate. Uh, this was July 30th, so about five days ago. So this morning we were confronted with horrible news, which we had been expecting all along. But this news, though truly horrible, was also the real result of something called annual rate. Uh, we saw in the headlines that the GDP adjusted for inflation collapsed by 32.9% in quarter two. That should have been reported as the 32.9% annualized. It was an annual rate, meaning the quarterly two drop was essentially multiplied by four with adjustments to attain a theoretical figure mm -hmm. that shows the DG, uh, that's the, the key there, theoretical figure that shows that the gross domestic product for the whole year would look like if it kept plummeting like it did for four years in a row. Four months in but a row. But that is unlikely. Four cycles in a row. It says the Bureau of Economic Analysis reported the GDP data this morning also reports deeper down in its data, not annualized figures, and not, uh, not annualized GDP fell 9.5% from the quarter one. Mm -hmm. uh, this 9.5 plunge in Q2 from Q1 was still steep in decline in the nearly 70 years of quarterly data, which began in 1947. There was no quarterly data during the Great Depression, only annual data. You know, one thing I want to bring up while I'm thinking about it, and then I'll, I'll continue on here. Um, I don't know. It's not that long of an article, but I'm going to uh, go through all of it. But, I mean, it does have some good uh, good numbers in here, uh, at least good numbers to know, is that, you know, we keep hearing about the unemployment rate and how it's going to be, you know, Trump's responsible for the uh, the drop of the quarter and, and unemployment rate. And, and one of the things that, you know, after this article that, that she did, is and, you know, she came up with the you know I'm gonna just do it now and get back to the article. Uh, one of the things that she put up was a chart of the different states' uh, unemployment rate, and just to kind of go down there to give you a you know kind of a visual of what she was talking about is you know as things stand at least of last night, you know when she's talked about the uh, the economy, and uh, we're talking now these are unemployment rates that she posted. Uh, it says Massachusetts is at 17.4% unemployment, New Jersey at 16.6%, New York 15.7%, Nevada at 15%, California at 14.9%, Michigan at 148 Hawaii at 13.9%, Pennsylvania at 13 and Delaware at 12.5%. And these are unemployment rates. But, and so we keep hearing about the employment rate. 
And we keep on hearing how, you know, oh, my gosh, the employment rate. And, and I'm not a fiscal guy. I'm not an economist. You know, I know enough about, you know, the economy, but not one where, you know, I can, you know, say anything with a lot of authority. But something that came, you know, just logically speaking, and, and I would kind of like to know this, is that they're talking about, oh, my gosh, this is a terrible crash of the economy. And I do see the effects. I mean, I'm in sales, and I see how, you know, at least right. the type of sales I'm in you know, going down. Um, but one thing I keep – so I know there's an effect, but as to crash in the economy, the question I have, and, and Joseph – I mean, Joe, maybe you'd be a good one to, to answer this one, is let's say we do have nationally – national average. I'm not saying we do, but let's say we have a national average of 15% unemployment. Mm-hmm. When my, my, my thought is, well, yes, 15% unemployment, but that means we have 85% employment. Mm-hmm. So why would a – and that's what I don't understand is why would an economy crash if we still have 85% employment? Well, eventually you could crash with 85% employment because of the 15% unemployment. It may have a domino effect on businesses which then go bankrupt. And as a result, uh, like I say, a domino effect. But with a 15% um, unemployment rate, it seems as though with 85% working, that is really not that bad. But what will happen once you do your research that the 15% isn't really 15%. It's probably more around 25 or 30 or 35%. Because the way that the Bureau of Labor uh, makes up its statistics that's also misleading. I think there's a website, thomas.org, thomas.com. There's somebody, I think his name is John Thomas, and what he does, what he's been doing for years, is that he investigates the figures that the Bureau of Labor throws out there and other government statistics, and he shows how they're uh, misleading. Like, for example, the inflation rate. Uh, when they say the inflation rate is like 2%, 3%, what they do not cover are heating expenses. I think uh, the normal tenants' heating expenses, the normal homeowners' heating expenses, and the rate of inflation for food. So if you count those two within the basket of um, commodities that they add up to get the inflation rate, then the inflation rate's around 10% a year, 8% a year, something like that. But you bring up a good question. If it's 15% unemployment, then if 85% are employed, that's really not that bad. But the 15%, I'm going to say on an educated guess, is really minimum. And that is probably around 25 to 30% unemployed. Okay. Well, that's... uh Thanks for uh, busting my bubble there, Joe. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kelly, did you want to add any on that? Well, Bureau of Labor and Statistics, how do they determine how many people are unemployed? Well, the obvious is applications for unemployment uh, through the states and what have you, but there's no way, unless they hire a bunch of people, there's no way of figuring out who got laid off and who is or isn't working. They really don't know that. And so you have, you know, some people might live on savings and take a vacation for three months. You know, some people might just want to 
try homelessness for a month or two. Well, you don't know, but it's it's those numbers have got to be low. They've got to be a low from the Department of Labor and Statistics. So there's other people like uh, the gentleman just mentioned. Um, I want to say Mike, right? Anyway, um, yeah, it's it's. Well, how's America going to get back to work? I mean, it, the question that befalls some people is, are the Democrats really willing to make this country suffer and do everything possible to get Trump out of office? Um, are the Democrats, they never did this with Reagan, um, but what, you know, they could really be pumping for vote by mail. Texas would be a huge victory vote by mail because there's so many vulnerabilities. Florida is a swing state. Ohio is a swing state. Michigan, Pennsylvania now, Arizona, of course. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit frightening and encouraging thing. I'm seeing posts and other things. Well, Trump is... Trump is adamantly against vote by mail, and so is uh, Attorney General Bill Barr. But if the Dems can scare enough people, <clears throat> scare enough, legislate, enough legislators, they will get vote by mail. <clears throat> There's a good chance they'll get uh, Trump out of office. However, the, kind of somewhat changing the topic, um, Dan Bongino. Um, He's got his own show, and he was talking about sources. He used to be CIA. He's come out as a strong conservative slash libertarian, liberty-minded person, very intelligent, very affluent, and eloquent in communication. And he's really good about putting his sources in when he does his, his broadcast. He has sources close within the Biden campaign, and the Democrats are freaking out because every day Biden's getting worse. What people may not have known is it, uh, and I saw the video where Biden said this himself, he had uh, a brain aneurysm and they had to go through his skull and get it, which could be explaining a lot of his behavior. Well, not only did he say that, Kelly, but he said they, they literally cut his head open to get to it. I don't see any scars around his head. Well, yeah, I mean, he did admit to that, and so that could be the problem. Um, so it's you know, so the they are panicking, if you will, according to Dan Bongino, they are in a panic space, very very concerned about who are they going to find for a replacement. Now, I guess on Friday, uh, Biden's going to announce who. Well, that's what I think. Or, I mean, yeah, they have a, I mean, have you heard? I haven't confirmed it's Friday. I'm just thinking that, you know, it's a low. Uh, Low news day. That's probably when he's going to do it. <laughs> well, he, the he, he did say he was going to announce it this week. Right. So Friday gives him. And it's Friday already Wednesday. Right. So Friday gives him till the end of the week. Um. So yeah, it's <clears throat> it's a real interesting scenario. Well, this is where it gets even more interesting. Because well, he's waiting for Friday too. That way, he'll find out who we picked. <laughs> no, who would I pick? Wake up in the morning, come out of the basement, yeah. get a jug of milk. All right. But, yeah, it, it's just a big question. And the, 
in order to, I'm going to kind of go through the whole process here, and some of it just makes common sense, but if you want to run for president, great. But if you want to win, you have to have enough electoral college delegates. In order to get enough electoral college delegates, you have to have enough people in each state register as an electoral delegate for a candidate. I know it's because of the 2012 write-in with Ron Paul. I called up a buddy, and we're both excited about it. He he was the last sign-up. He must have beat me to the county uh, election clerk's office by a few minutes. But anyway... Um, so you have to have electoral college delegates, even for a write-in candidate. Now, um, you have to, of course, have signatures from, you have to have an application form. Okay, so let's suppose that, that here it is, what, say middle of August, um, well, let's just say 1st of September. 1st of September, the Democrat Party realizes Oh, shoot, we can't run Biden. We're going to lose. Um, his health is so bad. The Democratic Central Committee National, it's in their rules, um, the Democratic Party rules, that they have. They can pick someone in case of sickness or death or resignation. So they pick somebody, say September 1st. Okay, then um, let's say somebody we don't even know. Somebody we don't know, well, they, they get their electoral college delegate signups. And then they got to get the ballots printed. Now, this could be a disaster. Say, middle of October, and you got a bunch of mail-in states, and they switch candidates. These states are going to have to mail. <laughs> they're going to have to ma- reprint the ballot or allow a write-in, whatever. They're, it's going to be a disaster if, if it's in, uh, say, October 15th for a new candidate to all the – Counties across the country, 3,141, and they have to, oh, shoot, we got to change the ballots. we got to send them out again, or they can maybe show up at the polls. So that's kind of a no-win situation. But So they got to get on this. they got to get on it now. Okay, so let's say September 1st, they got a new person. they got everything all lined up, all the signatures, all the applications, blah, 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 blah. Then you got to run a campaign. Two months for a presidential campaign, and I'm talking about somebody that nobody knows about. You know, of course, you might have Buttigieg. Um, so it's a very interesting situation, and because of all the vulnerabilities, um, it's very possible um, that they're in an absolute panic because of the time frame. You enter too late, you're toast. You don't get enough states signed up, you're toast. Um, so, yeah, I can see why they're in a panic, and it's, you know, we just turned the corner into August. Oh, I know. Yeah, and uh, I'm seeing a lot of comments and other things, somebody I know personally, that's moving away from the Democrat Party because of all this Antifa stuff and riots and looting and da-da-da-da-da. So... It, it's going to be a wild ride. I'm I'm hoping for Helmut Norpoth, his prediction to c- come true, 91% chance Trump's going to win it, and for every electoral college delegate Trump gets, or I'm sorry, for every two Trump gets, Biden's only going to get one. Well, yeah, it's it's if we have a clear landslide victory, this idea of um, riots and a revolution is going to get quashed. 
and then we'll have peace for a number of years as, as Trump starts rounding up more people. So anyway, it's it's going to be some very interesting times ahead. Yeah, these last three months are going to be uh, oh we lost you, we lost you. Um, uh, so yeah, that happens sometimes. Uh, you know, we lose you. And so uh, now one thing, yeah, you know, I've got the rest of that article here. You know, kind of it's a lot of numbers. You know, I don't want it to be you know be dry there. Uh, but of course, you know, I'm sure people are hearing in the news, especially those who even remotely listen to any type of, you know, liberal news. Of course, well, no, they're going to try to blame it on Trump, and they're going to they're try everything. Uh, and, and one thing I want to bring up while I'm thinking about it, Kelly, is you know I know with Watch the Vote and you're involved with that, and, and I don't really want to get off topic, but you know. I just want to bring it up, you know, and with you know Jim working on, and you working on things with Watch to Vote. I mean, is there any project that you, you know, at least you can't speak of, and you might not be able to, on, on what uh, Watch to Vote is doing or, or or wanting to do, or you know, maybe even planning to do, you know, for this coming election? Well, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Jeff Liberty is uh, Watch to Vote. He's on the board. He joined the lawsuit class action against the state of Florida to preserve the digital ballot images. And the uh, state of Florida is getting sued, of course, but the Democratic the Democrat Party of Florida is also uh, plaintiffs on this. So I think really? that's really encouraging. Yeah. And, and that's a good thing to preserve the digital ballot images because that's the easiest, quickest way to do a recount. Well, that's interesting. Now, I mean, anything at this point in time that the Democrats get involved in automatically makes me suspect. Well, election integrity is a neutral issue like justice. So, yeah, I know there's some – well, in working with Watch the Vote, I mean, you know, I mentioned I am a libertarian. And uh, basically – when I talk to people on the right, they always say, oh, it's the left that's cheating. I talk to people on the left, they say, oh, it's always the right to cheat. Um, so it's it's interesting. It's very interesting. Um, so they both both sides accuse the other side. It's, it's just mind-blowing. But I'm trying to find something here to share. Um so you've heard of the Babylon Bee before, right? Oh yeah. Mhm. Yeah, they're uh, yeah, they're not really as serious. Yeah, they're more of a uh, satire. But, yeah, they're more satire than anything else. Yeah, it is. It is funny. Um, they got a lot of funny stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the hottest thing. I mean, what's it is really encouraging. I mean, uh, Watch the Vote was way ahead of Trump regarding the opposition to mail-in ballots whenever possible. We were way ahead of that. And to see him, and not just Trump and A.G. Barr, but I'm seeing comments and other things all over the place. People are really, really leery of mail-in ballots. Well, look, well, look at, the, uh, well, look at the, uh, the how the primary is going over in New York.
I mean, look, I mean, they're still waiting to get results from the just the primary there in New York. Oh, they're still trying to get through it. Wow. Yeah, there was a East Coast news company that sent out. Uh, was it? They decided to do sample ballots to their P.O. box. They got a new P.O. box. Gosh, I wish I could find that information. But basically, three of their pretend ballots never got delivered to the post office. Um, they delivered all over town the blue boxes. You can drive up and just drive up and slip it in. And uh, it was terrible. Um, they didn't come on time, a bunch, and they were spread out. Um, it was just—it's just that news company showed how unreliable it was. It's terribly unreliable. Yeah, I think I—I I think I've seen that. And, I, and since we're on this vein, I was going to bring this up till later on in the show. Um, since we're on this vein, yeah, I've, I've heard of people getting uh, letters, and this, this is one of the letters. And it's, it's, again, I'm having a hard time. Uh, reading it, um, but it's you know it's kind of blurry and things of that nature. But this is something that someone here received, and uh, on the top it's a letter. It says, uh, "Please confirm or update your information on the back of the letter." Um, that's blurry. It says something something. Ensure your voter registration is not subject to cancellation in 2024. Voting something, I guess it says blocked. It says update your voter, you know, that's in a block at the at the top. And then on the letter, and I, I got the, a copy of the letter here on, on Blog Talk Radio. It says, Ohio voter, you are receiving this letter because the United States Postal Service has indicated, and then it, they didn't take a full picture, so it blocked off, uh, that you have recently changed addresses. Secretary... Something and Ohio something officials are committed to ensuring every eligible voter in Ohio has the opportunity to hear the, have their voice heard. So it's important for you to update uh, your voter registration uh, card. Please confirm or update your information. I said the easiest way to accomplish this is to go online at ohiovoter.gov backslash I moved. But you may use the form on the back of this letter as well. Uh, by keeping your voter registration up to date, we can ensure that you are able to vote for the upcoming election. Thank you for exercising your right to vote in our great state of Ohio. This is important information about your Ohio voter registration. If you have moved and have not updated your address by October 5th, 2020, uh, the voter deadline or something uh, the November 2020 election, you may be required to cast a provisional ballot when you appear on election day at your correct voting location. If you do not update or confirm your address and do not vote in Ohio by the 2022 election, the second regular general election for federal office uh, that occurs after this notice, your voter registration in Ohio will be canceled pursuant of uh, federal law, name will be removed to the voter registry list. If you have permanent, if you have permanently moved to another state, you complete the updated uh, section, confirmation notice with the address in your new state, 
you are confirming that you're eligible to be registered to vote in Ohio, and your voter registration in Ohio will be, I think it says canceled. But find information but, uh, on how to register to vote in another state. It's just real blurry. Something U.S. Elections Commission website, and again, the website. But the, the kicker here is there's people actually getting that letter saying, or, you know, again, saying you are receiving this letter because the United States Postal Service have indicated uh, to our office that you have recently changed addresses. And they're like, uh, no. He's like, I've lived, the, guy, he's, the guy lived there for decades. So I wonder how many people. I mean, and and then um, I've talked to other people like, yeah, I got that too. No, I I didn't get one, but I'm wondering how widespread that is becoming. Well, that's a good question because if um, the county election clerk is sharing information with the U.S. Post Office and back and forth to confirm addresses there's multiple possibilities why somebody would get them now let's suppose that the mat you just it's a computer program that would figure this out so you would have um, two computer databases that would match okay if they matched then don't send one out you're saving money pretty simple okay Another possibility is they're sending, the, the election clerk is sending out a, a general blanket statement to everybody. But from what you're telling me, not everybody's getting those. Um, well, was this from the U.S. Post Office? Yeah. Or from, oh, it was from the U.S. Post Office, not the county election clerk. Okay, now that's different. All right. Yeah, so, that's, yeah, yeah let me look that up again. It said, um, so let's see. I think it was from the no, it's from a, um, I think it's from the election. It says Ohio um, Ohio voter. It's saying that the post office somehow reports to them that they recently changed their address. So this is from the voter okay. registration people. Okay, it could be the Secretary of State. Could be the local election clerk. Or could be from the U.S. Post Office. It's probably going to be from the um, either the Secretary of State or the County Election Clerk. Okay, so they have these databases and they share it. Um, that would be, a, I think, overall would be a good thing because if people have moved, they're not going to get um, your sample ballot. And when they go to the precinct, it's going to slow things down because they take a printout of where you live at the precinct. What's your name? Okay, here you go. You live at this address. Okay, sign here, please. Uh, that's how I do it in California. Anyway, address doesn't match up. You do a provisional ballot. Okay, fine. But so you have another possibility is somebody hacked into the voter registration database and changed their address. And when the county clerk shared with the post office or post office checked, trying to match the address, and they, it flagged it and sent out a, a postcard. Um, so, but it's, yeah, it's, whether you, if you're going to do vote by mail, which you don't approve, but 
unless you're like really need it, you're sick or you're military, or you got you absolutely have to work out of town or what have you. But if you if you get it straightened out now, it's going to solve a lot of problems. Either way, vote by mail or vote in the precinct. So I don't know. And again, I don't know if this is a, a secretary of state effort or if it's individual counties or the county election code could be mandated or reminded by the secretary of state to get this done. But if somebody – you mentioned somebody that had lived there for years and years and years, and now the post, and now they're being told that they had moved, and they never did a change of address for them. They wouldn't have any motive to do it if they'd been there a long, long time. Then it looks like somebody could have hacked the voter registration database. We had that problem here uh, in the sense that people were getting this. Uh, you're now registered as no party preference. What? I've been a Republican all my life, or I've been a Democrat all my life. What's going on here? Sacramento repeat. Sacramento B reported uh, in December, <clears throat> well over 500 people had that problem. And that, that was when they just kind of began looking into it. So, yeah, I mean, these, these problems happen. Did you fall asleep on me? No, I, I had a shot of hope. I seen uh, something about um, from Elon Omar, uh, and she, she was talking about somebody else. I thought maybe she was congratulating somebody who beat her in the primary. Unfortunately, it wasn't. I, I don't. I do not know how people who can vote for someone who obviously hates America the way she does. Yeah, how they could no. actually how they could actually vote for someone who's an America hater. No, 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 no. Hold on here. The Democrats don't hate America. They love America, and they're trying to save America from that tyrant called Donald Trump. In their mind, of course. Because yeah, don't you know, what, man. Uh, don't, don't you know, Robert, that Donald Trump is the second coming of Adolf Hitler? Oh. Sure, sure, of course. So so the Democrats have to save America from Donald Trump. You don't know how to vote. You don't know what's best for you. They do. The American people don't know what's best for them. They do. I mean, it's, it's... Anyway. I won't be surprised, Robert, if we see a major news story, and it probably won't be on uh, the left news media, Customs uh, customs there in a seaport, maybe L.A. or Texas or East Coast or Florida, and an ocean-going container is filled with counterfeit Chinese ballots, mail-in ballots. Yeah, won't surprise me. And um, I just won't be a surprise when I hear the news. 
and the Dems are coming out all over the place. Oh, there's nothing wrong. Oh, it works wonderful. Look, see, Colorado and Oregon. But I'm really encouraged by the American people because so many comments, so many things, somebody brings up the topic. People are commenting, you know, Facebook or YouTube. I'm I'm voting at the precinct. I'm voting at the precinct. I'm voting at oh, except California. You can't because our beloved Gavin Newsom in you know, his Corona mandate. You know, I'm, I'm wondering um, I'm wondering this because one of the points that uh, Laura Ingram made uh, was that we didn't follow Europe's lead in handling COVID, which you know, was interesting um, because one of the things that you know was pointed out on uh, one of the, the charts that she made is um, this. Uh, you know, again, we go back to the death rate per hundred thousand. It's United States death rate per thousand is forty-eight. Okay. For 100,000, where you have Belgium, which is 86, Britain, which is 70, Spain, which is 61, Italy, which is 58, and France, which is 45, and Germany, 11. So you're, you're talking about four of the six, you know, Western European nations, you know, to uh, to deal with COVID that had a higher death per 100,000. So when they're talking about, you know, following European lead and handling COVID. And then if you look <laughs> at their, and if you look at their, yeah, if you look at their economy, uh, you know, you've got, uh, you know, our S&P 500, you know, since, since then, it's been up 2.34%. Uh, DAX, that's Germany's, you know, I guess, indexes, key stock indexes. Uh, they're negative 4.89%. CAC 40, which is France, is down 18.21%. And the UK's FTSE 100 is minus 19.97%. So, I, you know, I don't see where they think that, you know, Europe is doing that much better than us. And, and what I'm leading into is, I mean, I don't follow a lot of European politics, but, I mean, when is, an, is there any uh, election going on in Europe uh, coming up that, that you know of? Or? Not that I know of, but I'm sure they have them. Um, I mean, okay. If you love someone, they can do no wrong. Like when you fall in love with a girl and you're blind and your friends are saying, hey, she's trouble. When you love someone, they can do no wrong. When you hate someone, they can do no right. doesn't matter. You know, you take a nasty divorce, husband does something uh, very sweet, buys her car, does something, something, help her out, whatever. Yeah, she'll still hate him. And vice versa. A husband can just hate a wife or whatever, you know, in divorce. You love someone, they can do no wrong. You hate someone, they can do no right. The heart drives the mind. That's what's going on. It doesn't matter. Some people just... And then they think they're on a crusade to save America from Trump. You combine those two, you know, and then you have people that keep bringing up, bringing up, bringing up all the reparations well, necessary. Well, what about what about my great great grandfather who fought from the north to free the slaves in the, in the south? How about some appreciation? No, but these socialists, this is what they do. They drive the liberals and the left, and they're causing this hate, and no matter what Trump does, he can't. But, you know, the American people are figuring it out. They're figuring it out. I'm seeing more, a lot more Democrats leaning towards Republican and getting away from the Democrat Party than the other way around. 
Because, you know, there's some people, there's no, you can't change their mind, forget it. Just forget it, wasting time. But for some reason, they have the loudspeaker through the media trying to tell everybody what to think and what to believe. Oh, and they, they, they lie about it. So what they lie about, I'll give you an example, is that just this past week, um, you know, uh, you know, I was kind of you know, going back and forth with some people, and they were, you know, one, one of the things they posted, oh, what, what, what Trump said, right, what, what Trump said was that uh, only a good Democrat is a dead Democrat. And I asked, I said, well, what, 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 show me a video. Show me a video where those words come out of Trump's mouth. And they're like, oh, okay. And so what they did is they didn't post a video. They posted an article that stated that uh, Trump retweeted, okay, the uh, Trump cowboy. What's that background noise? If somebody can get rid of that, that'd be great. Um, The cowboy, he retweeted something from the Cowboys for Trump. And so – you know, and then the person can get back, and I pointed that out, like, oh, well, you know, he actually didn't say this. He retweeted this guy. And she's like, well, he must believe it if he retweeted it. And then I looked further, and then I watched the, and then I watched the entire video. And what the guy said was, well, I'm coming to the, okay, is there, can you meet me, Mike Kelly, if the background noise is coming from you? Sorry. Um, yeah, because I, I hear some background, the background noise. But anyway, so the guy said was, you know, I'm coming to the conclusion that the only, you know, good Democrat is a dead Democrat. Now, I'm not saying, because I can see that people are already going to clip this video and say that I said I want to go out and murder Democrats. He's like, no. He's saying, I'm not saying they need, you know, the only good Democrat is a dead Democrat physically. He says, I'm talking about in a political sense, you know. But, of course, they didn't take the time to look into that. And so what the media did, they made it actually look like Trump, and that's how they're spreading and fomenting the hate for Trump, is they're putting out you know, misinformation, half-truths, saying you – know, making it look like Trump said or supports something without even putting out the, the entire information. So the guy didn't say, oh, I think the only good Democrat's a dead Democrat. He was talking politically, you know, and of course you, – but you've got people who don't do their due diligence who are out there. Who they they see this stuff and they believe it only because it, it fulfills their already um, preconceived notions of of how they already feel about Donald Trump. Well, they just want to spin it. That's well, it's all not they want to do. It's not even spin. It's an outright lie. It's an outright – I mean, I mean, they're trying to make it say, like, oh, but Trump said this, and he didn't say it. That's the thing that's like – I don't even know if – I don't even know if you can even as much call it spin as much as you can call it, uh, you know, just an outright lie. I, I, I'm, that's what they do. That's what the socialists – you know, Solinsky, the ends justifies means. You know, it, it's just the way it is. That's just what they do. Um, yeah, it's absolutely mind blowing. So uh, that's so many. It's amazing that so many people have fallen for it. That's kind of the sad thing. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a lack of discernment, a lack of what are the facts, what are the situations, what's really going on here. 
it's it's it is what it is. I mean, this is the way. I, if people want to hear, if people want to listen to the truth and be objective, that's great. If they don't, well, then we're going to have these problems. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, how do you convince people? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if if a person's unwilling to be convinced, well, then forget it. They they don't want to be objective. That that's fine. Um, I just it 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 just is what it is. Yeah, but one of the things we talk about, um, you know, a lot on the show is okay. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. That is what it is. But what the heck are we gonna do about it? <laughs> oh, I know. Well, the only thing we can do is is people who have discernment. And they have the right to vote. That is a constitutional right. It's a long-standing, legally adjudicated, confirmed right to vote. You just simply have to uh, outvote them and find a way to try to be kind to people when they're being like this. Um, it just is what it is. It just is what it is. I don't know what to say. Well. So, yeah, I'm trying to find something here on Facebook. It may have the uh, a person who is being rather rude may have re- deleted his posts when he called down. Are you talking about the one we discussed the other night? <laughs> yeah, off air we discussed a, a conversation with a liberal, and it was pretty mind blowing. He just wouldn't. Uh, well, while you're looking that up, I just got a few more statistics that, you know, I want to take from the, you know, that show, the Laura Ingram show the other night, uh, last night rather, when, she, when they were talking about, you know, we didn't follow, you know, the, the media saying, oh, well, we didn't follow Europe's uh, lead in handling COVID, right? Well, when they're talking about, uh, you know, about the, um, the COVID deaths, right? We're talking about um, – oh, I didn't already talk about – actually, I did bring it up. But if you do comparison – well, remember I, earlier I mentioned Spain, right? Spain has like 61 per 100,000. 61 per 100 – that's Spain. Well, just keep in mind these states that I'm reading off here. Uh, and these are deaths per 100,000. Michigan, 65. And just think about who their governor and who they're run by. Uh, Louisiana, 87. Rhode Island. 95, Connecticut, 124, Massachusetts, 125, New York, 167, and New Jersey has actually surpassed New York at 178 deaths per 100,000. Wow, interesting. Yeah, I mean, so if they want to compare us to Europe, oh, how, how you know, we didn't do anything as good as Europe. It's like we've got states. And that's really what – I mean, that's why they created the European Union, really. The European Union was made to try to compete with the United States. That's all that is. You know, and of, of course they can't. But, I mean, but that's why the EU, EU really was, was created to try to keep up with the United States. So each one of our states is pretty much almost the size of one of their countries. You know, so if you want to compare, you know, which would be an interesting comparison, maybe I'll take the time to do that. Is to actually say, okay, what state in, in the United States is comparable to 
you know, let's say, you know, Italy or something like that. I mean, you can't even say Germany. I mean, since Germany only had 11, you know, so, I mean, what states could we do to, you know, kind of show, you know, that, look, you, you, you know, you can't take, you know, the United States as a whole and the, the death per thousand or, or anything of that nature and, and equate it with, you know, Anybody, any of the any of the other nations, really. I mean, the only ones you could really compare it to, well, is if you just if she did. I mean, I think she did a great analysis, and that's just by taking, you know, those. Because she said, remember, I mean, we're looking at about the equal. Um, you know, we're talking about about equal population, and we got another Skype caller in. Um, maybe Joe calling us back for someone else, um, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get to them in uh, in a minute. And so let's see. I'm going to uh, do an audio uh, while we, you know, we we bring the the, the Skype person in. Uh, but you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and uh, let's see. I'm trying to find that. Um, what well, a, a kind of a, a reminder here, um, because you know they're talking about Susan Wright. Okay. Being possibly the uh, Joe Biden's pick, right? Because they, they kind of shift gears. Um, because everyone, I mean, they all have baggage. So they're talking about her now. And of course, one of the things that she had some a hand in is uh, Benghazi. Uh, and so let me play the short audio. Uh, it's only about six minutes. That just kind of is a, you know, we're not going to do a lot of talk on it unless people want to, but this is kind of giving you an idea. You know, maybe not as much about Susan Rice, but you know, you know about Benghazi, and that you remember she had, she had to play the part to play in it. And I'm gonna do a green room to our Skype, our Skype uh, caller. So here's the audio. You said as president, you would never have used military force in Libya, and that the attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi was, in your words, inevitable. Should Secretary Clinton have seen that attack coming? Look, let, let's start. I'm trying to get in this conversation about ten minutes. Let's start with why Russia is in Syria right now. There are three failings that have allowed this to occur. The first was the invasion of Iraq, which destabilized uh, ethnic uh, elements in Iraq and empowered Iran. The second was the Arab Spring, which created huge vacuums in Libya and in Syria that allowed uh, terrorist movements to move in there. And the third was the recent uh, deal allowing Iran to move forward and eventually acquire a nuclear weapon which sent bad signals, bad body language into the region about whether we are acquiescing in Iran becoming uh, a stronger piece of the formula in that part of the world. Now, I say this as someone who's been five years in the Pentagon and who opposed the war in Iraq, whose son fought in Iraq. I fought in Vietnam. But if you want a place where we need to be in terms of our national strategy of focus, the greatest strategic threat that we have right now is resolving our relationship with China. And we need to do this because of their aggression in the region. We need to do it because of their, the way they treat their own people. And I would say this. I've been waiting for 10 minutes. I will you say have, this. You're over your time. Though, I will, well, you've let a lot of people go over their time. I would say well, this. You agree to these debates. To the unelected authoritarian government of China, you do not own the South China Sea. You do not have the right to conduct cyber warfare against tens of millions of American citizens. And in a web administration, we will do something about that. Senator Sanders, I want you to be able to respond. Pardon me? Uh, I'd like you to be able to respond and get in on this. 
Well, I think um, Mr. Putin uh, is going to regret what he is doing. I think uh, that when he gets into that... He doesn't seem to be the type of guy to regret a lot. Well, I think he is already regretting what he did in Crimea and what he is doing in the Ukraine. I think he is really regretting the decline of his economy. And I think what he is trying to do now is save some face. But I think when Russians get killed in Syria and when he gets bogged down, I think the Russian people are going to give him a message that maybe they should come home. Maybe they should start working with the United States to rectify the situation there. Secretary Clinton, on the campaign trail, uh, Governor Webb uh, has said that you would never have used military force in Libya and that the attack on the U.S. consulate in Benghazi was inevitable. Should you have seen that attack coming? Well, let's remember what was going on. Um, We had a murderous dictator, Gaddafi, uh, who had American blood on his hands, as I'm sure you remember, threatening to massacre large numbers of the Libyan people. We had our closest allies in Europe burning up the phone lines, begging us to help them try to prevent what they saw as a mass genocide, in their words. And we had the Arabs standing by our side saying, we want you to help us deal with Gaddafi. Our response, which I think was smart power at its best, is that the United States will not lead this. We will provide essential, unique capabilities that we have But the Europeans and the Arabs had to be first over the line. We did not put one single American soldier on the ground in Libya. And I'll say this to the Libyan people. But American citizens did lose their lives in Benghazi. But but I'll get to that. But I think it's important, since I understand uh, Senator Webb's very strong feelings about this, to explain where we were then and to point out that I think President Obama made the right decision at the time. And the Libyan people had a free election, the first time since 1951. And you know what? They voted for moderates. They voted with the hope of democracy. Because of the Arab Spring, because of a lot of other things, there was turmoil to be followed. But unless you believe the United States should not send diplomats to any place that is dangerous, which I do not, then when we send them forth, there is always the potential for danger and risk. Governor Mellon? Anderson, I think we are learning. Anderson, I think there's lessons to be learned from Benghazi. And those lessons are that we need to do a much better job as a nation of having human intelligence on the ground so that we know who the emerging next generation leaders are that are coming up to replace a dictator when his time on this planet ends. And I believe that's what Chris Stevens was trying to do but he did not have the tools. We have failed as a country to invest in the human intelligence that would allow us to make not only better decisions in Libya, but better decisions in Syria today. And it's a huge national security failing. Senator Webb, I want you to be able to Thank you, Anderson. But this was was not about Benghazi per se. For me, it is the inevitability of something like Benghazi occurring in the way that we intervened in Libya. We had no treaties at risk. We had no Americans at risk. There was no threat of attack or imminent attack. There is plenty of time for a president to come to the Congress and request authority to use military force in that situation. I called for it on the Senate floor again and again. I called for it in Senate hearings. It is not a wise thing to do, and if people think it was a wise thing to do, try to get to the Tripoli airport today. You can't do it. Secretary Webb. 
You served in Vietnam. You're a Marine. Once a Marine, always a Marine. You served as a Marine in Vietnam. You're a decorated war hero. You eventually became Secretary of the Navy. During the Vietnam War, the man standing next to you, Senator Sanders, applied for status as a conscientious objector. Given his history, can he serve as a credible Commander-in-Chief? Now, everybody makes their decisions, particularly when the time there is conscription. And as long as they go through the legal process that our country requires, I, I respect that. And it would be for the voters to decide you know, whether Senator Sanders or anyone else should be president. I will say this, coming from the position that I've come from, what I've come from, from a military family, with my brother a Marine, my son was a Marine in Iraq, I'm not regretting that I cut him off because actually Webb was probably <laughs> one of the, and I love hearing Democrats beat each other up, but anyway, <laughs> uh, he didn't last very long uh, because he made too much sense as a Democrat. That's why Tulsi Gabbard, that was in 2016, uh, that audio clip, but uh, that's why Tulsi Gabbard didn't last uh, very long in 2020 uh, because uh, she made too much sense and she wasn't in, uh, a rabid uh, Trump hater like all the others. But let's go ahead. That is Joe calling back. So let's go ahead and bring Joe back in. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Joe, for coming to the show. Uh, welcome back. Sure. And you're right about Tulsa. She wasn't um, a rabbit Trump hater also. She was somebody who opposed um, very vocally Hillary Clinton. So she probably had to go, too, as a result of that. Oh, so what yeah. all I really wanted to say was that Laura Ingram did summarize uh, the comparison between the uh, COVID deaths of the United States with the rest of Europe by some by summing up what the other nations, um, what their populations would be uh, and are when, they, um, when they're added up together, and they're a little bit more than the United States, so it's a fair comparison. So that's what I wanted to say. I also wanted to clarify uh, when you were talking about deaths per state. When you, when you say a state has like 87 per 100,000, is that, uh, can you mention a state that's close to that? Is, it, is that like Texas or one of the other states? <clears throat> has 87 deaths. Can you 62 that deaths, whatever. Right? Whatever number. Uh, pick a state and give me a number per 100,000, please. Um, let's go with... Um, we'll go with New Jersey, which is 178, which is the highest. Ooh. Uh, can you give me a lower one? <laughs> I want to go with the lowest. State, how, like about South Dakota. Uh, how about Louisiana? How about Louisiana at 87? Okay. 87 per 100,000, right? That's the per capita uh, number they're giving? Yeah, per 100,000. Right. What that means, folks, for those people who aren't that good in math arithmetic, it means 87 per 100,000. It means only 8.7 deaths per 10,000 and only eight deaths per 1,000 people in that particular state. So those figures are fairly low, and it doesn't justify the shutdown that we're in now. And don't forget, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, those numbers are, for all practical purposes, conflated deliberately by the, by the murderers of those states that sent patients in hospitals who were who had serious um, infections due to COVID, 
took them out of the hospital, they didn't self-quarantine them because these people were, were not exactly mobile, and put them in nursing homes where old people with underlying conditions of diabetes, heart, um, heart attacks, Alzheimer's, etc., would then become contaminated with the disease. Okay? So that's why the numbers in these particular states are up that high, which then conflate the numbers, uh, the total number of the nation. If you take away the nursing home deaths, you probably reduce the number of deaths in the nation as a whole, I would guess, by minimum 10%, which would then make us still um, even far greater in terms of dealing with COVID than the rest of Europe. So I just wanted to say that, Bob. Well, certainly. Yeah, and that's, and that's another thing I wish they'd start doing is, you know, comparing the COVID deaths with other deaths that are going on in the nation. You know, I wanted them to start comparing what, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the show, uh, and, you know, two weeks ago with, you know, with our previous guest last week, and, or two weeks ago. And, you know, we got to look at what other, what other collateral damage uh, that there is with what, you know, COVID was shutting things down and not letting kids go back to school and shutting down the economy and people, you know, losing their livelihoods and people getting fired. Let's say you're in sales because you're not making a sale, things of that nature. Uh, and, you know, so, but no one's doing that math. No one's even really, I mean, even the conservative media, they're talking about it some, but I really wish, and believe me, I wish I had the time to do this, uh, but those who are in the business should uh, actually make this comp- you know, those calculations and, and make that, you know, and make that comparison. You know, how many more people now are, you know, are committing suicide? And, you know, how many more uh, teenagers are depressed and things of that nature because they're sick at home? How is it, how it's affecting their grades? Because, you know, I mean, just think about it. Especially think about the, you know, you're a junior, senior in high school, and all your life your mode of teaching was having, an, you know, having an instructor in front of you Physically, physically instructing you, pad, pad and paper, you know, looking at chalkboards, having yeah. interactions with, you know, with, with teachers and students, oh, yeah. and you've done this for, you know, you know, 16, 17 years of your, okay, you start at five. So you've done that for about, about 12 years of your life, and, and, and then they take it away and say, oh, well, we're going to do online learning. I mean, and, you know, and then that's the, uh, you have to have that, at, you know, Adjustment. I mean, there could have been, and I, I don't know the statistics to be honest, but I mean, there very well could have been kids who were out there who were straight A students, but then lost, you know, their straight A's because they couldn't, they just couldn't make that adjustment. And not only that, I mean, they have, there are people who are talking about how the lack of socialization for young kids, pre uh, pre kindergarten and grades one, two, three, four, five, etc. How if they can't interact with their with the students of you know their peers, their age group. It's going to hamper their development as human beings. So there are people who are conducting studies of that, or at least making projections about what would happen um, if the COVID was to continue and the schools were to shut down to that degree. So yeah, uh, you know, and statisticians will come along and uh, and make um, hopefully accurate um, assessments of what uh, of what you would like them to do. So um, I'm pretty sure they would. Yeah, but I hope it's not too late. I mean, that's that's the point. I mean, it's I think damage now, is probably already good. I don't think this. Yeah, we're we're not. This COVID, this is medical tyranny. This is not going to end, no matter who wins the election. This is 
the arm of the Rothschilds, in my opinion. I don't have documented proof, but um, if you if you listen to Alex Jones, he's no longer a conspiracy theorist. He predicted this years ago, and what he said years ago has and is coming true and is here now. I listen to him now, and what he's <laughs> what he said years ago and what he's saying now are in sync. This is not going away. I wish it would go away. I don't. I knew this was coming, but I didn't think it would be coming for another five to six or seven years, because I think. Well, I think that. Yeah. I I think the Rothschilds and the um, Rockefellers, what they're waiting for, is for the perfection of the science in which they can they can fuse their consciousness with robots, with silicon, so that they can become immortal. Because this is this is the end game. The end game isn't just to depopulate the planet. The end game is for them to be to uh, to acquire the goals of what Caesar, Caligula, Nero, um, Hitler, and Stalin all wanted. They all wanted to be gods, to be immortal, and to be immortal without being metaphysically a god, you have to fuse your consciousness, get out of your body, and fuse your mind with the body of an immortal type of body. And that body will have to be a robot. An android. And that is closer than we think. People in Italy, there's, uh, there's a doctor in Italy uh, last year or the year before, was conducting head transplant experimentations. So, and there's a volunteer who, who she, I think she's a PhD. Um, she's volunteering for, I don't know if she's going to be volunteering as a patient for this particular doctor, but she's volunteering her, her consciousness, I guess her head, in order to be transplanted onto the mainframe of a, of a computer. This well, here's will an article be for you. Oh, okay. No, I'm finished. Oh, yeah, I mean, I just looked this up literally. It says, uh, it says first human head transplant could be achieved by 2030, uh, veteran NHS neurosurgeon claim. Proponents say controversial procedures could pave the way for, oh, look at that. For immortality. Woohoo! Um, I would want to be the first ever. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 my jury's out on that one. But at this point, I would. As long as I could do certain things, but I won't mention. Even though we are in bars, logic after dark. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> it's just the okay. first. <laughs> it's just the first. Uh, the first ever human head transplant. Uh, could be achieved within the next decade, claims a former NHS neurosurgeon who believes he knows how the feat of moving a person's consciousness to another body could be made to work. Bruce Matthew, a former clinic lead surgeon or lead for neurosurgery at Hull University Teaching Hospitals, NHA Trust, was working on a science fiction novel with Institute of Futurology founder Michael Lee when he realized the potential key to making the outlandish surgery a success. He believes that surgeons would not only have uh, to transplant a person's head, but place their entire spinal cord into another's body. Until now, the few contentious scientists striving to make head transplants a reality have mainly focused on methods that sever the spinal cord. Uh, an idea that Mr. Matthew, who was performed for the 10,000 operation, describes as utterly ridiculous. But the 63-year-old from Hall asserts that advances in nerve surgery Robotics and stem cell transplants mean that it could be possible to reattach an entire spinal cord 
and its corresponding head to another body before 2030. So initially our intention was to just brainstorm an idea, and it seemed rather silly, but then I realized it actually isn't. If you transplant the brain and keep the brain and spinal cord together, it's actually not impossible, he told the Telegraph. The spinal cord is the most profound thing imaginable. You need to keep the brain connected to the spinal cord. The idea that you cut the, the split, the spinal cord is utterly ridiculous. It says one of the, uh, it says one of the more uh, infamous scientists in the sparse head transplant field, and this might be who you're talking about, Sergio Canavero, in 2017 claimed to have performed a successful transplant on a human course based on a method that severs the spinal cord at the base of a neck. He claimed electrical simulation. He's alive now. Uh, proved right. it had been a success. <laughs> but other scientists uh, criticized the claim and pointed to his previous claims of success with a monkey, which never regained consciousness and would have uh, remained paralyzed if it had do so. Mr. Caverna, who was a willing human volunteer, lined up to Judas' work had paved the way to immortality. A word also, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And let's not forget some other thing, too. Artificial intelligence will probably come along before human consciousness being fused with uh, silicon bodies. And artificial intelligence will solve just about any problem you want. Any problem. Next time it's going to do my math homework. No. <laughs> you won't math. solve that because the core math is actually impossible. <laughs> Common core, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> you know, well, here's, here's um, on Twitter, you guys know I do that, um, where this dumb lady's like, oh, fun schools, not cops. So, you know, they're talking about if the squad, right? The squad, uh, you know, I'm like, what would they do if they got into power, you know, with, with Democrats controlling the presidency and the House and Senate? So they'll destroy America in any way they want. This person's like, people who support the squad don't hate America. Uh, I never said the people. See, she's wrong right away. She, see, I hate when people do this. When, well, let's see. When they tweet, oh, there we go. Oh, this guy. He's like, he like this lady like the, he says, the people who support the squad, uh, uh, the people who support the squad don't hate America. We actually believe those on the other side hate America as we're witnessing on the GOP side of the aisle, hence the Lincoln Project. You know, I definitely want to do uh, an expose on the Lincoln Project because I don't think these people really know what they're thinking about. I said, you know, I felt like saying to this guy, um, Tim Bodie, uh, if you were paying attention, I never said that the people who support the squad hate America. I said the squad hate America. So... You know, hmm. that's funny. Liberals never seem to pay attention when you when you make a comment, do they? No, and I have to uh, say that conservatives also are like that. Um, because if you ever read a book, well, for example, Frankel's book here, Frankel, the guy that got um, uh, scandalized with the Me Too movement. You know, remember he was one of the writers for SNL. Then he got then he got to a controversial. Election, he became elected as a senator, and then he had to step down because of uh, revelations of some photos that he had done, which weren't exactly that damaging, but he stepped down anyway. He wrote a book about the GOP. He wrote a book about, like, I think it was uh, Rush Limbaugh's A Big Fat Liar. And if you read the book, uh, well, part of the book, I didn't read the whole book. I read part of it. It's 
how they describe the conservatives is almost exactly the same way conservatives describe the liberals. So unless you actually do your research and know how to discern fact from fiction, um, people can get people will glom on to what to whatever philosophy and ideology they come across first, and which makes the greatest impact on them. So I don't blame the people who are liberals because. If they're young millennials today, they were brainwashed from the time they may have been in high school, but definitely from the time that they were in um, in liberal universities. And I remember when I was going to, uh, to college, I believed everything my professor told me, and I believed what the textbooks told me, because that was supposed to be their job. Luckily, when I went to college, they weren't teaching us about how to judge America. But still, nevertheless, whatever they taught us, I believed I didn't have any frame of reference to disbelieve it, and neither do these poor saps coming out of college, like AOC. I don't blame her at all. She's just a product of four years of brainwashing, of pure indoctrination, almost on the same order of Chinese uh, water torture and what the Koreans used in the Korean War for brainwashing. It's just, as far as I'm concerned, it's just that simple. And they can't wake up. They see life through a prism, which is an illusion. But until socialism and communism comes here and then puts them in the gulag for not saying comrade fast enough, they're not going to believe that socialism is an evil. You know, and you can't we say have- that crony capitalism doesn't have a lot of. Uh, but, you know, it's a three-legged stool. Crony capitalism does provide a lot of fodder for the liberals to say, aha, look at how you're crooked. Look at these politicians over there. See how corrupt they are. And you can't say they're wrong. But when it comes down well, to capitalism versus socialism, come on, it's a no-brainer. Really, I mean, if you, <laughs> if you really think about it. Well, Joe, I, I like that you're very objective in your your thinking there. Um, one of the fodder that the Democrats have is the corporate lobbyists seem to, the Democrats, seem to uh, get bills passed at the congressional level and the state house level to which that corporation then makes ton of profit. If there's a lot of corporate, and I personally believe this, that there was... Um, if lobbyist capitalism didn't work and certain regulations that favored corporations weren't allowed, there'd be an awful lot of corporations that would probably be just humming along and, and you know just making it, not this multi-million profit, hundreds of million profit from government legislation. Mm-hmm. In California, the Democrats are doing the same damn thing. Yeah. Okay. But they have a better plan. At convincing their base that only the Republicans do it, and the Democrats are saints and everything's wonderful. All the evil Republicans, there, them and their corporate lobbyists. And uh, I would love if if, if the Republicans, they pick a party: the Republican, Democrat, Libertarian. Well, Libertarians are kind of small in number. Most people are Libertarians, but anyway. But if one, if one of the two main political parties said, okay. We have to deal with corporate lobbyists. 
And if a corporation, through a lobbyist, passes a bill with some kind of legislation that their profits in the next two, three, five, ten years skyrocket, and they can be traced directly to the lobbying of that corporation, then that corporation should be taxed like 90% and all the and all of the board members of the corporation and the CEO and the CFO, the lobbyists and the congressman who introduced it, if they would do something like that, either party, either party, they would start winning elections big time, sometimes landslide. Because the American – and Basquiat nailed it in the mid-1800s. And he studied how the corporations were bending the will of government for their own profit and the everyday people had to pay more for goods and services because of how the corporations were bending the government. Bossiat said, the state is that great fictitious entity by which everyone seeks to live at the expense of everyone else. Just so happens the corporations have the money to get this stuff done. That's the stuff in the building code is so frustrating. I mean, people got to buy stuff they don't want, don't need. Don't care about isn't hurting anybody, you know. But it happens, and whoever company has is the first in the market with their patent product that got sold because of government law. Um, the uh, it just happens over and over and over. The Democrats are guilty of it, and it's, it's, it's mind blowing. It's, it's just like, why doesn't somebody stop? We have the Sherman Antitrust Trust Act early 1900s to break up corporations because they were getting too much power over Congress. But it keeps happening, and it keeps happening, and it keeps happening. And both sides, both sides do it. The Democrats are just better at making it look like only the Republicans do it. it it's just mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And the American people, left, right, middle, doesn't matter. We all suffer from this. More expense, more expense, more expense. I was looking at purchasing an excavator, uh, some gold mining operation. You have to have a scrubber system. And my mining partner, he's at a neighbor, he's like got this nice backhoe, 40 horsepower, old, will not pass the air regulation. The mechanic that just worked on all sorts of trucks and vehicles and tanks and over in Afghanistan. I said, hey, uh, hey, Stan, what's this going to cost? So a scrubber on this backhoe. About $28,000. Yeah. So imagine if you even have – imagine that if you're oh, a, a technocrat, liberal, and you have this scrubber that passes all the emission tests, and you claim you're trying to save the environment, but you're really going to make millions and millions and millions of dollars by selling these, these scrubbers for diesel engines. Mm-hmm. Oh, for the, the state, well, you know, 25 horsepower or less, we don't need that stuff. Oh, it's ridiculous. You can pass all sorts of devices, this and that and that, have you, whatever. You file the patent on it. doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat or a right or a left. When you get the government to force the sale of your product, you're an instant millionaire. Mm-hmm. And you just happen to have the only patents for that device. And I've seen it in the building code. All, I, I just unbelievable. Oh, so sure. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a way of enormous political power. I mean, if you, 
I wonder, okay, so solar panels were required in all new construction um, effective January 1st here in California. Now, if you happen to have a whole bunch of left buddies and you get together and you start a solar panel company and you're a solar contractor that installs these things and you're left, you would be happy as a clam because business will be booming. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you, you, you have, let's say you're a big constructor, uh, you, you, you got a thousand, you got a thousand employees with your solar firm and you're in California and you're liberal and your sales are off off the charts and awesome. You can take some of that multi-million dollar profit and you can give it to the Democrats and keep the Democrats in power in California. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I'm having trouble believing that the environment is really about the environment. It's about profit and take that profit and get your Democrats in office again. What's the, what's the next environmental technology that solves Saves the world, but makes me a ton of money and gets my people into office. You, you see, this is just plain wrong. The Republicans are guilty of doing it. The Democrats are guilty of doing it. It just needs to stop. The bending of government for massive corporate profits, it needs to stop. And that's why I say whatever political party adopts a rule that – if all of a sudden some legislation passed and the corporations skyrocket, their profits skyrocket, they hire the lobbyists. Everybody involved in getting that law passed needs to have a 90% tax. I mean, those specific individuals for like five or ten years. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sorry, because I'm tired of forced sale of products that we don't want, don't need, is too excessive, too whacked out, that you have to buy it. And, and the American people suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, and does this all make sense, Joe? Oh yeah, it's crony capitalism. It doesn't matter who the uh, which party it is; they all answer to their masters. Their masters are the lobbyists. The lobbyists are just like what's a network. The network, the corporations run the uh, run the government. The uh, the congressmen they need money for campaign funds. They will bow, kneel to the donors, and the donors will make demands. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. Now, AOC may want to fool herself into thinking that she's changing the planet for the better, but if she's going to accuse the Republicans of taking money, you better believe that if you look a little bit below the surface, even now or certainly a couple of years from now, you're going to find a lobbyist in her back pocket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, what's frustrating, the First Amendment does give the people the right to peacefully assemble and petition, and so lobbyists are protected by that. They certainly are. Well, what about the mom-and-pop shops? How many family-owned businesses, as a percentage of our of our culture... Have have gone from you know who knows maybe eighteen hundreds mid eighteen hundreds maybe it was a, a father son business family owned business what have you and say it was thirty percent forty percent of of the entire country's business I wonder if that's gone down to like ten percent in the corporate corporate controlled businesses has skyrocketed 
everybody works their nine to five, is that the end goal? I mean, it's. It, I was raising a farm. My dad, what, ran his own business. What do you know? I run my own business, man. Um, and when you see how you can run a business, it's not an impossible leap. It's not a frightening, scary thing. I'm trying to help a homeless guy start a lawn mowing business. Mm-hmm. And we'll see, you know, I think some killer marketing things. We'll see what happens. But a lot of people are afraid to start a business. And then you have a ton of regulations you have to comply with. Well, who put those regulations there? Corporations. Yeah, they don't want competition. Yeah. They don't want competition. Yeah. And, oh, but they're beholding the stockholders. That's always the excuse. The highest obligation is to the stockholders. Uh, so you're going to make the American people pay the stockholders? It's just, it, this is where I can understand why there's fodder for the left. And the left gets furious. Well, let's try socialism. No, let's punish the lobbyist capitalists. Let's bring in the Sherman Antitrust Act. And if you start breaking up corporations and the power they have over the, our, our government, and you have more mom and pops rising up, rising up, socialism won't be very attractive anymore. But I can see why socialism is attractive. Well, sure. Promises are very, very um, alluring. What I would do if I were president, number one, I would be worse than Trump on the borders. I would, I would just, I might build a wall, but I would certainly put up front a whole battery of machine guns. Anybody who tries to cross into uh, our country uh, will shed blood in the Rio Grande River. Um, the president has that particular authority, and I would certainly use it. Secondly, I would like, I don't know if I could mandate this, but I would certainly like governors and mayors to institute as part of the uh, the public school education two uh, two mandatory uh, mandatory courses one would be logic the other one would be critical thinking so that every day just like when they get lessons in English arithmetic spelling geography history they would get lessons in logic and critical thinking so that when kids start to develop their brains and when they finally graduate from high school they'll be able to understand what bullshit really is so that no politician will be able to pull the wool over their eyes. So when a politician runs for Congress and he says or she says, well, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to fight for, then the majority of people say, well, why should I believe you? Well, because if I was a community organizer or I was successful in business. And somebody might say, well, that's nice, but what has that got to do with, uh, with the government structure? How can we trust you? Just because your employees trusted you and you needed your employees so that you made them trust you so that you can make a profit, how do I know that when you get into Congress that you won't renege on your, uh, on your campaign promises? And would you, as a congressman or as a senator, would you agree that if you didn't do your campaign promises for whatever reason, that I could start a petition to have you recalled? I remember saying that to a politician who was not a politician, but a wannabe politician, was running for Congress a few years ago on Block Talk Radio. And then she accused me of uh, sexism. And she said, well, you're only saying that because I'm a woman. And I said, no, nah, I say that to yeah, male I've politicians, too. <laughs> you know. So if if... If, uh, see, we're, we're stupid people, the Americans, okay? We know geography, spelling, English, history, but we don't know how to think. We think we know how to think, but we don't know how to think. 
And if you really know how to think. Speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, I'm not speaking for myself. I'm a genius. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if, if we as Americans knew how to think, politicians couldn't get away with anything. Nothing. Because self-interest would say, uh-uh, you're not going to fool me. Yeah, I'm 16. Oh, let's say I'm 17 or 18. I, I just now have achieved the age of voting. What are you going to deliver? What are you really going to deliver? And why should I believe you? And I'm not going to let you go until you tell me. And I don't want to hear, well, what we need to do is, I know what you guys need to do. You've been saying what you've needed to do for the last 10 years, but haven't accomplished it. If you haven't accomplished it, I don't believe in you. Goodbye. <laughs> I would like to see a law that if they lie on the floor of Congress, that uh, the grand jury looks into them, oh, that's a lie, and they're indicted. Oh, yeah. That indicted from in office. That, you know, the way Schiff and uh, others were allowed to lie in that impeachment thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Why well, are... Yeah. Why are they allowing each other? The Republicans and Democrats allow each other to lie because they the know each other's. Oh, they know each other's bodies are buried. I, I'm going to say now, Biden is the fall guy. Durham and and Barr, if they come close to any kind of indictments, it's going to go straight to Barr. I mean, straight to Biden, because Biden was in the meeting with um, Susan Rice, uh, Comey, Brennan. Who might very well be his. Uh, he might very well be his running mate. Wouldn't that be interesting? <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be something? But the thing is, he's going to. They need a four guy. They both get indicted. Wouldn't that be something? Well, that well, that's what's oh, I think could happen. But they've been waiting for a four guy to come along, and Biden with his dementia, you know, he's going to ask, well, what size are my prison uh, pajamas? He, he won't even care if he's indicted. He'll think he's going to the funny farm. So. Because the Republicans and the Democrats, after they do the political theater of how they're against each other, just like Jesse Ventura said, after it's like two wrestlers. They fight in the ring. When the uh, two minutes are up, then they go have a beer. You know? So when, the, so when McConnell versus Schumer, when Pelosi versus McConnell, when the, you know, when the cameras are off, they're all having a beer and the, you know, they're plotting how to, how to uh, fleece the American taxpayers even more. So right. since they know where the bodies are buried, they can't point the fingers at each other because if somebody, cause if somebody gets indicted, they'll say, oh, you indict me? Oh, wait till I sing like a canary, and, I, and then they come after you. So they're going to need somebody who's going to be the fall guy. Who's the perfect fall guy? Biden. You know that if COVID wasn't here and if Biden was to have a debate, one debate with, with Trump. Oh, yeah, that's why they're trying to get him out of it. That's where they're yeah. trying to get him out of it. But, but then they're being hypocritical and saying, oh, well, we don't think uh, that he should debate Trump, but we should have one, uh, you know, we should have one uh, debate uh, with, the, with the vice president. And he's like, yeah. what? That doesn't make any sense. But none of it makes sense. Okay. When you have corruption, it's lies upon lies upon lies. Try telling a lie and then telling another lie to cover up that lie, then covering up the, the two lies and covering up three lies. Like I said, they're waiting for the fall guy. I don't know if Durham is on the level. I don't know if Barr's on the level. I don't even know if Trump's on the level. Okay? 
because when you're in those particular corridors of power, you are you, your head gets very, very, very filled with, oh my God, I'm almost a god. I mean, look, I can do anything, <laughs> you know. And hmm. so. By the way, I want yeah. I want to miss something here. Perhaps I wrote a book called The Hidden Fourth Branch. A corrupt government's worst nightmare about the power of the grand jury. Anyway, I, I submitted an application, you know, Monday here in Siskiyou County, California to be on the grand jury. Oh, good. Don't know if I'll be on it or not. They were taking applications until the end of July. I showed up on Friday, a 10 to 5, super busy day. And then the cell office is open till five. Well, four o'clock, they lock the doors at the office of the jury services. So I came back on Monday, turned it in. The clerk was real. Really? Wow. So who knows? I know the presiding judge. She knows who I am. <laughs> in a traffic case, she starts mm-hmm. asking questions of the officer. And objection. Yeah. What? What? What's your objection? You can't be doing this. You're the judge. If the district attorney would be so kind as to be here and prosecute this case, he can examine and cross-examine the witness, as in uh, the sheriff's deputy. Because he's not here. He's the only one to do this. You're a neutral judge. You cannot be doing this. You're not the prosecutor. Objection. I don't know if grand jurors can raise objections. I think they have to remain quiet. Oh, no, no, this is, this is in a traffic case. Oh. In a traffic ticket. I've oh, beaten okay. several traffic tickets. I've beaten several traffic tickets. Anyway, helped other people beat theirs. But, I'm, you know, this is the same judge that was like her first year as, um, you start out as a magistrate, and then they go for a, being a magistrate means you're appointed, and then they become a judge by election. And now she's the presiding judge. So when I first, First year I met her, I, you know, I complimented her. I said, man, you're really sweet. The way you're handling these whole situations, I was the last person because I had a lot of paperwork. They always do that. But they don't want people in the court to know they're right. Anyway, <laughs> so they make me laugh. And I'm like, and, and they're like, objection, you can't be prosecutor. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so afterwards, this is kind of a small town. Afterwards, I'm walking across the parking lot, and I hear this, hey, you, hey, hey, come over here, come over here. <laughs> Like what? Some guy in a blue truck? He said, "Boy, you really set up your rights today." Yeah, you were watching. Well, yeah, I'm taking my wife to lunch. His wife was the judge. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, "Well, hey, how are you?" You know, and uh, you know, we talk and stuff. And she she said, "Yeah, you did pretty good there." You know, most people don't know their rights. And, you know, Judge Dixon, I see walking into the courthouse to look up research stuff for engineering. You know, a, a county recorder and survey stuff, what have you. Oh, hey, how are you doing? Oh, good. How are you? You know, she knows me. <laughs> it's such mm-hmm. a small town thing. So I, uh, it was funny. I was studying the code. I can, I can tell you, I'm on the grand jury because I, or I've applied for the grand jury. I'm not sure. There's no codes in the state of California against me telling you that I've applied to be on the Siskiyou County Civil Grand Jury. There's no restrictions on me telling you that. <laughs> no legal loophole. They didn't write it in the legislature there. Mm. So, yeah, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put the word out somehow. 
what during this unique time because they're so desperate for uh, grand jury members, and we get to investigate the, the county, their methods, their equipment, their procedures, the personnel, whatever else, the books, mm-hmm. and it's a watchdog. They have it in the flyer. They say, well, "Here, let me read you this flyer." And they say only 20 hours a month, but I've heard a lot more from other grand jury members. But this is what it says. This is the front page of a flyer. Uh, Siskiyou County Civil Grand Jury holding our elected officials accountable and encouraging government offices to work efficiently and effectively. (laughs) And so it's citizens investigating the operations of the county and actually even issuing indictments. So, (laughs) kind of unique. You know, I'm not sure if I... Well, if I become a grand jury, I'm a, 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 I become a grand juror. I'm not sure I can tell people. <laughs> well, there's a little poll I just found there. <laughs> it's, it's twisting wheels here because we only got about uh, 20 minutes for us to shut things down. I just, uh, you know, but, you know, I go behind the scenes. I'm tweeting this and that. And one, this is kind of random, but I'm just going to ask you both because I'm kind of curious about what your thoughts are on it. Is um, and this wasn't even something. But yeah, sometimes that happens around Bark Logic. And we haven't heard about this topic in a while. Um, but it is actually a topic that's in, you know, the, the, the election, at least some, but it's on the periphery, is Internet neutrality. So, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I know some about it. I've heard some about it. I've done some research on it. Uh, but, you know, and I've got my pros and cons and, and, and you know, parts I would support and parts not. Uh, but, I, you know, just since we have you guys here, what to get your thoughts on that. Well, you can you can start with Kelly because I have to go now. So I'm going to let you guys uh, uh, finish up the rest of the show. And both of you guys uh, take care and be safe out there. Okay. Uh, you too. We'll see you uh, next you... week. Okay. Right, take care. Too, Good night. Well, Kelly, let's get your take on that then. Uh, the take on uh, net neutrality. I mean, as a libertarian, is that something that you would be for? It's somewhat of a complicated issue because, I mean, I know there was a big movement to do – they called it net neutrality, but it was actually a disaster. Mm -hmm. But do you mean things like uh, Facebook uh, removing posts they don't like? Um, YouTube well, it's, it's ironic. It, well, it's ironic. It's supposed to be where they don't do that, but they, they, they do it anyway. Well, Trump came out and basically says, I'm going to allow um, anybody that's been monetized that is getting removed or demonetized for their political opinion, uh, you have the right to go and sue. You know, right and go and sue Facebook, YouTube, Google, whoever. Um, there, the press used to be, well, it's, it's somewhat of a form of a press, but it's not. It's not. However, they're, uh, I guess, under the Sherman Antitrust Act and maybe the Clayton Act, there are certain government restrictions and government powers over them that they can't be removing conservatives 
or Republican type thinking posts, but they do it all the time anyway. Um, so they do that. On the other hand, uh, if it's a pure contract where government doesn't get involved, that's kind of a more libertarian perspective. Um, when you sign an agreement that all your postings have to be according to their policies, which you also agree that um, social media can change their policy at any time and you're stuck with whatever they change the rules on you. Well, if you sign a contract like that, guess what? They can remove your post right and left and left and right. So net neutrality, well, wait a minute. If it's passed today, we're still ex post facto, meaning they're grandfathered in in the way they're established. So it is it is a complicated issue, but for some reason, Trump found and, and, and communicated one of his press briefings that we are going to go after. We're going to let people. We're going to let people go after Facebook and YouTube uh, who are getting uh, demonetized from their opposing point of view of Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. So it's a real fascinating, uh, interesting thing, and I won't be surprised if there are attorneys already preparing advertising packages. Hey, have you been demonetized because of your views on Facebook? Call me, and we'll see. Yeah, there um, you go. So it'll end up being to be a class action lawsuit. You know, Susie loses 3000 a month. Bob loses 5000 a month. Kim over there, she loses uh, 4000 a month. You get a whole bunch of these people together who made their living off of give, expressing their opinions and monetize. Um, they get a class action suit. They're going to start getting hit. Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter, they're going to start getting hit. They're going to get hit, and they're going to have to pay a lot of money. Well, okay, so they pay the fine. It's like, hey, I'm going to do 80 mile an hour. I'm late for work. I'll pay the fine. You have that mindset that you get a ticket, you pay the price, who cares? L.A., the Hollywood stars will park in no parking zones all the time. And they get, you know, three, $400 in tickets. So what? They pay the fine. They don't care. <laughs> they got their special parking, parking spot to go drive up to Starbucks. They get a ticket maybe several times a week. My ex-wife used to work for some people. It says, hey, don't worry about parking. I'll pay all the tickets. Don't worry about it. They'll just slap it on your windshield and just give it to me and I'll pay it. So if... The social media companies are willing to pay all these fines in civil cases, then it's just a cost of doing business. <laughs> and they'll keep doing it. <laughs> but if somehow you have the Attorney General's office, uh, Barr's office, bringing in the Sherman Antitrust Act and the Clayton Act, they could literally break up Facebook or shut down Facebook. Twitter, YouTube. Libertarian perspective is, you know what? People complain, well, then go to uh, build your own. What about MySpace? That was another one. You know, anybody, just let the private sector sort this out. You know, you remember MySpace was like the first one? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, so MySpace, what happened to MySpace? How many people are on MySpace? How many people do you know still use MySpace? That kind of faded, and up came Facebook. Okay, fine. 
Well, from a libertarian perspective as well, just let the competition, let American competition work it out. I don't like to complicate things, but when you get to some of the details, it's very important to understand this aspect, this aspect, and that aspect. How's it going to work out? I don't know. What, what do you think, Robert? Yeah, my jury's still out. I mean, you know, on there. I mean, I think, you know, with what I've read and, and researched on it, you know, would be okay as long as the places like, you know, Facebook, Google, and other social media outlets or search interests, you know, uh, can be kept from filtering out content and censoring uh, content they disagree with. Yeah, well, people say, oh, the First Amendment right. Not on a private platform that you agreed to by contract that they can remove your post. I had a post removed. I was talking about the one off air. Um, I don't think it was me. It was the main post. It was the main post um, that got removed. So, okay, I can't find it. I was going to share it on the show tonight. I can't. But a killer example of a liberal that forgot facts, wasn't winning, and he decided to call me names and do psychological projection and all sorts of things. And then, oh, you know, you're a worthless piece of blah, 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 blah. It's like, dude, you, you, you know, you're, you're digging a hole for yourself. You want a shovel? He keeps insulting me. You want a backhoe? Oh, gee, how about an excavator? Gee, how about the um, Kubota? Not Kubota. Um, uh, how, about the, how about the largest excavator in Africa? It's got 4,000 horsepower. You know, it's got like a 30-yard bucket. You want that to dig the hole that you keep making for yourself? And it's like any anybody who's a reasonably objective mind reading the comments and us going back and forth, they'd be like, these liberal people are nuts. That got removed, but I think the whole post, you know, this is a, uh, a thread on comments back and forth. I commented on his comment, and he got rude and insulting. But the main thing got removed. Well, that's frustrating because now I can't find it. Because I wanted to, you know, even do a YouTube video on this, on this exchange. Um, all these aspects, yeah, the jury's still out. What the main post was, was somebody took a picture of a uh, kind of like a poster slash flyer, and uh, on the background was multicolors like rainbow, and it's a fully grown man with a heart, red heart. It was, it was a silhouette, silhouette of a man, a silhouette of a boy, and uh, um. Each one had the only color was red, uh, and a silhouette with a red heart, little boy silhouette with a red heart. They were holding hands, and it, on the top it said pedophilia because love is love. And everybody was furious with anybody going around the town and posting that crap. And so there's comments right and left and left and right. 
So I had to ask this guy, this liberal, I said, dude, who are you trying to protect? Um, but I think that post got pulled because of the, of, the, mm. of the poster image. Because some people are saying, well, what this is, is this is a 4chan. This is a 4chan troll. They're printing it up, making, uh, equating pedophilia with the homosexuals. Well, that's interesting. So I could see why the whole thing got removed. I mean, that's – and I can understand if something like that is a false or a false accusation or one group trying to make another group look bad. I, I could understand why Facebook would remove it because it sure did make um, – you know, when you put the rainbow colors on the back, it sure did look like pedophilia is linked to homosexuals, and that's not necessarily true, and it's got – Appears to be a very serious false accusation, and that's just if it's a false accusation by 4chan, it is just bad, and I can see why Facebook would want to remove it. Does all make sense? Yeah, but unfortunately, we have to call. Well, now we actually got more time than I thought. Good. <laughs> Sorry about that. But yeah, it's it's uh, yeah. I, if, I mean, if somebody posted a picture of well, you know, Congressman Weiner, he was sending Anthony Weiner sending pictures of his penis to girls. That's just totally inappropriate, illegal. No. And there is some lim- there is some limits to free speech. As in, you know, you don't want to creep people out. You don't want to harm people. Um, slander. So add more to the jury questions of the social media. Um, but I will tell you what happened a, a week ago Monday. This is mind-blowing. I got a notification, somebody on Facebook, that these doctors were at Capitol Hill, and they were discussing – the problem was the exaggerations of corona. Yes, they all said it's a real virus, of course, but it's, everything is so chronically exaggerated. And hydroxychloroquine actually does work. Doctors are getting letters from. There was a, oh, I had an article ahead for that tonight, but that's on the Bard's Lodge Look Up website. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah. There's an article on that there. Go ahead. I'm going to have time to read Right. So these doctors, of course, had gotten together in Capitol Hill, and this um, kind of brownish, red-haired doctor, and come to find out she's an attorney, too. I don't already have time for all that, but um, she was like the host of the panel. I would have to be in bar closet and, after dark, after dark there, Kelly. Now go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I mean, she, she was it, it just – wow, I was amazed at this woman. And, and, and she, other doctors and some doctors called in, but there was a doctor from Minnesota that got investigated by the state medical board under an anonymous complaint when he compared corona to the regular flu. Well, eventually, Minnesota dropped. Mm-hmm. They completely dropped it. But his yeah. wife was basically threatened, and other doctors were telling the same story. 
And I, I just so admire these doctors for coming out boldly. Well, okay, so this was – I watched you know, a good hour and a half of it on Monday morning. I'm like, what? Wow, it was absolutely stunning. A lot of really good speakers. I really like that black lady. Uh, she came from another country, but she practices here. Just a sweetheart lady. Call it like it is. Okay, so that's Monday. I'm like, they broke for lunch. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do some other things. I can hit replay when they're all done. I was thing. Guess what? It was taken down. Scrubbed. Scrubbed off of YouTube. Scrubbed off of Facebook. Scrubbed. And then the big news the next several days was, yeah, these doctors got together and exposed a lot of the chronic exaggeration, unscientific methods. They even exposed that the uh, CDC did test studies with hydroxychloroquine, but they elevated the concentrations to bias the results as in like five or five to ten times a safe dose. The concern is, is this hydroxychloroquine safe and effective? If it's safe, is it effective? If it's effective, is it safe? Okay, safe and effective, that's simple. And the CDC, they exposed the CDC had biased the results to make it ineffective. Or, I'm sorry, make it make it not safe. And expose this. This is not what we've, been, what we've been using for decades. So all these things are coming out. I was stunned. I was glued to it. And then it's gone from Facebook. And then pretty soon all over the place, uh, people are posting, yeah, <laughs> they scrubbed it off of Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. And then they finally, something happened in the higher-ups. They finally went ahead and they let people post it and it stayed. So you can watch it now. But I'm like, seriously, we were in a national emergency, very possibly with the branch Covidians. It's a lie to, to, to cause so much harm. They talked about the secondary effects of, of depression and suicide and spousal abuse and child abuse and people be at home all the time and kids can't report it in school. You know, they talked about oh, so many aspects and factors. And they scrubbed it and then they brought it back. After there was a lot of, I mean, the, the story that it was scrubbed was even bigger than, than what they, they did on Capitol Hill at the, you know, this panel and discussion. So it's like, okay, okay, something like that is absolutely completely wrong. So on the one hand, you have a poster that might be from people falsely accusing gays and attaching them to pedophilia. I can understand why they might want to remove that. But when you have doctors revealing the truth in a national crisis and they scrub it, they take it away, you know, where does the government step in on this? But it, we can probably easily agree that when it doesn't fit the socialist, communist, leftist agenda, they scrub it. Well, that just – there's two extremes I'm just describing here. So which – which, where, where does the government step in? What kind of law can be written? Or does the private sector manage it by having competition to Facebook? Anyway, it's just, uh, what is it called, Parler? Parler is a new one, I guess. I haven't seen yeah, that's yet. actually, yeah, I've, I've, been wanting to, I've been wanting to check into that, actually. Um, I haven't yet, but yeah, that's, that's definitely, and I've been, I've been hearing more people talk about it. I need to jump on the ground floor on that, I think. Maybe I'll try to work on that this week <laughs> or something. 
Yeah, well, what's what, 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 is Parler going to have? I mean, is Parler, if they post child pornography, what's Parler going to do about it? You're going to have to remove it because it's illegal. <laughs> you know, well, how, how do we know and trust that you people in Parler aren't going to block people's opinions? Yeah, I mean, my thing is, is uh, yeah, I got, uh, as I said, I, got, I mean, I got mixed thoughts. I mean, net neutrality is supposed to pretty much be, through my understanding, you know, kind of a anything goes kind of thing. But, again, I mean, I don't know if that's actually the case, but it kind of seems that way. So, um, but, you know, I guess the, the libertarian streak in me would like, well, you know what? Whatever, put on there. Whatever, if you want to go to it, go to it. If you don't, you don't. If it's illegal and you're caught doing it, then you get in trouble. Uh, my thought is, you know, allow, you know, allow whatever you want to put online. But, but now with net neutrality, and I only only have a couple minutes left. Um, is that where the, the government doesn't monitor it at all? Well, it depends on how you define net neutrality, because the one that got Defeated. This was probably, I want to say, eight, eight years now, seven, six years ago. Um, it wasn't net neutrality. It was control, chronic control. And Computer Geek uh, got a big movement going, and they got it. They got that definition of net neutrality defeated. Um, yeah, I heard one time that weren't they would think talking about net neutrality being a way to get rid of uh, talk radio, um, you know, conservative talk radio because there's not a lot of liberal. But speaking of that, uh, Kelly, I, re- I literally only have less than two minutes for closing comments uh, for you before I close things out. Do you have any closing comments for this evening? <laughs> uh, the world's going crazy. That, that could be summarized in about a, uh, in about a minute. <laughs> Uh, well, I honestly don't know who I'm going to vote for for president because if I vote for Trump in California, it means nothing because Trump's going to lose California. That's a duh. I'm still trying to figure out who to vote for for president. But the, the world's gone crazy. I hope we – I mean, my gosh, you know, we've – what, 230 – was it 234 years? Is that right? Anyway, our mm-hmm. country has been in existence. And a 44, is that right? 44? Yeah, 76, 40, yeah, 44. 244 years we've, we've survived this. Uh, socialism, longest run it had is 69 years. Um, God's got a sense of humor when it crashes 69 years after communism starts in Russia. <laughs> anyway, hmm. but yeah, I got you. We are more logic after dark. I know, I know, but I, I the world's a mess. I hope I hope the American people come November get a lot of problems straightened out at the polls. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a mess, and that's definitely something I want to talk about. Subsequent shows is we we got a you know what and I've said this before, and this is how I close things out. There's people in times of war who've gone to the polls and voted. Uh, there's times and people voted during the Spanish flu and they still voted. Uh, and I'll leave it with this before I get to uh, the closing song. If we, and I've said this many times, if we are no longer the, you know, 
the home of the brave, we will no, we will no longer be the land of the free. And so uh, with that, I'm going to close things out. I want to thank everybody for coming in. I look forward to next week's show. We'll see what that brings. I know we've uh, talked about some things behind the scenes, maybe uh, kind of see what, you know, this liberal uh, breakdown of America and what is actually happening to it. And that might be part of our, you know, show next week. So we hope to see everyone there. So we'll close tonight, as I do uh, every night, and that is by the song by Aubrey Ashburn. Haven't had a chance to check up on her for a while, so I don't know if she's still doing art or not, but that's uh, something uh, perhaps I'll try to look to as well. You know, as I always say, this uh, Kelly there just uh, definitely needs to be more hours in the day. Uh, so take care. We will see you next time, and have a good night. Good night. Mm-hmm.